The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. So what's up, man? Dude, you if I didn't know who you were and I ran into you, I would have no idea that you're the same guy. It's crazy. You're a fucking completely different human. Yeah. You went from this guy that looked like you were really in bad shape to a guy who looks like a guy out of void in jujitsu. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck that guy. Let me get away from him. He's too big. You look fucking great, That's man. awesome. This is the greatest compliment I've ever gotten. Thank you very much. <laughs> By the way, all I want is to, to look like a big dude who's not... Just gigantic and fat. That's all I want. Dude, you look like a gorilla. You look like a dangerous human being. Like, how did you do it? Uh, well, over the past 20 years, I've uh, gone back and forth with dieting. I've I've lost a shitload of weight. I've gained a shitload of weight back. Um, how did I do it? I think that the the thing that I've done that has been sustainable is undoing kind of look a lot of diets come in and say just do this and you'll lose weight but we're not focused at all on how we got to whatever point we were at that we consider non-optimal that we want to change and so undoing the bad habits that I had that I would associate with allowing myself to get up to 550 pounds is really more important than anything that I could say this is what I did to lose weight does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Um, so when did the process start? So you kind of went back and forth, but yeah. you've obviously been on a very steady course for how long now? 20 years. 20. 19 years. 2002 was the first time I thought I really want to change my life, and I started then. And how much weight have you lost since then? 2002, I went from 550... I did a liquid diet for two months and lost 80 pounds. That 80 pounds I've never dipped back into. But so I was 450 and I went down to close to just under 300, then went back up to 400, then went down to 200, then back up to 350. And for the past five years, I've been around the weight I'm at now. So I've, I've really gotten that under control and what are you at right now 270 that is incredible that is that's so incredible so you've lost more than 200 pounds oh yeah yeah i mean I've, solid I've, I've lost 200 pounds a couple of times but you've also put on muscle like you're a different well, you're you're different all like you're unrecognizable yeah i think listen the other strange thing about weight loss is when you're building fat and you're storing fat, your body is naturally building lean tissue too just to support that fat. So under every obese person, there's a person with more than average muscle. Mm. So Because they have to carry around all their weight. Yeah, you're, you're naturally building muscle just by like raising your heavier arm than I used to always say that to Ralphie May. Because yeah. Ralphie May was so heavy and I was like, look at your legs, dude. I go, you'd be able to kick someone through a fucking wall if you just lost weight. Yeah. Like is the, um, the, just to be able to carry around. I have gnarly calves. I bet you do, dude. Yeah. I, I, that's one of the few things that like I, I train sometimes with bodybuilders now and my coach is a professional bodybuilder, Jared, Sh Jared Feather, shout out to him. Um, 
and he has a lot of calf emphasis. And I'm like, I don't really need to do that, bro. My calves are good. <laughs> yeah, you carried around 500 pounds for years. Yeah. Let's go to a, Can you show me a photo of Ethan when he was at his heaviest? So find me. So has this affected your work? Because, you know, you were getting roles for so long as an actor when you were large. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it has. There, there was a time... If we go back to like 2015, um, and I had been really thin, and when I say really thin, I mean 200 pounds, but for me, that was extraordinarily thin. That's what I weigh, which is crazy, and you're a lot bigger than me. It's crazy to see. I I, I looked, I thought I looked um, gaunt. God, that's insane. Look at those two fucking pictures. Like, like, uh, if a girl broke up with you (laughs) when you were on the left, and then ran into you, uh, you know, at the fucking airport when you were on the right, I mean... That is bonkers, man. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, truly, truly incredible. That's my favorite picture, and that's not even down lighting. I, I was an idiot, and I'm not super thrilled with my hair and my head, and I wouldn't shave my head because I thought the hat looked better with a little bit of hair poking out, <laughs> and then it got in the way of down lighting. So oh, that's, that's not even as good a picture as it could have down been. Down lighting. That's what everybody wants for abs. Yeah. They want down lighting. Let's yeah. See, see the guns. Um, so your, your training regimen must be like pretty strict though. Look at that fucking picture. That is so bananas, dude. Yeah. What, what movie is that from? Remember the Titans. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't even the heaviest. That, that, that's not the heaviest? I mean, I was probably close to 500 there, but no, that's, that's not even the heaviest. I, I don't know what to point to. Like this picture down here is, I believe after Remember the Titans and I'm certainly a little bit heavier. Yeah. Wow. When you look at that and you know how far you've come, I mean, it has to be incredibly satisfying. It's incredibly satisfying. But, you know, look, the reality is that um, I don't I I have mental illness and I can't I don't look at myself and think like, God, I look great. I, I see nothing but negative stuff every day. And I try to convince myself i try to find something that i'm happy with usually it's my traps i can look at my traps because it's lean there's not a bunch of loose skin hanging there they're not all scarred up from surgeries and i look at my trap and i go like okay that looks good and based on that i can then start to feel okay about myself looking at those pictures you know that's also a, a long time ago and i just don't i cannot relate to how i lived then wow it, 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 it's 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 very bizarre. Now, when you say you have mental illness, meaning that you're aware of this, right? So you're aware you have a distorted perception of yourself. Yeah, very much so. And it, what it what do you think is what's fueling that distorted perception? I, when I go back to like my childhood, I was put on a diet when I was five, and prior to that, I had no sense of self. There were, I existed and clearly I, I had fun and I played, but I was not aware of my body as a thing kind of, if it is external to me, as a separate component to me or, or just as a thing itself, it just was. And at five, I was put on this diet and all these uh, parts of me were pointed out as being super negative. And so I just at five years old. Yeah. And and I really and by the way, in fairness, if you look at the average five year old today, I I wasn't like 
I wasn't obese at five. I was a chubby five-year-old, but I was super active and I wasn't eating junk food all day long. And you're growing into your body too. Yeah. That's the thing about five-year-olds. It's like I've seen kids that look kind of chubby and then you run into them a few years later like, look at you, you're a beanstalk. Yeah. Yes. I have four kids myself and and you watch them, they kind of go in different directions, wide and then tall. And yeah, there isn't a set thing. Um, But I... I spent most of my life feeling wrong, like literally that I was wrong or bad or there was some some just super negative about myself. And so Fuck. I still have to fight through that today. Like no matter what I've done, I, I uh, 2012, um, I went and rode every stage of the Tour de France or 2011 maybe just for just for fun. And I could do that on a bicycle. That's not fucking easy. That's thousands of miles on a bicycle in a very short period of time. I was much thinner than I am now, and I was miserable. I was not happy. Why were you miserable? I didn't like the way I looked. I still thought I was fat, and I was 70 pounds lighter than I am now. So it's body dysmorphia. Yeah, something like that. But I think being aware of it, I can talk myself through it. It's not like I'm hung up on it every day walking around feeling like a piece of shit. Right. But I do catch certain glimpses of myself and feel bad and feel negative. See, this is the argument against fat shaming. And I've always said that, you know, I've had moments, like I've never, I've never, I mean, I, I, I've never been really overweight, but I've been fatter than I am now. I've had a belly. I've had, I got fat for a little bit, but not, but it's a joke. Like I would, you know, I I should be slapped for saying that, right? (laughs) A couple pounds on you. I mean, we, yes, I, I don't think so. Whatever you want for yourself, I think is what you should do. But I looked at it and I was like, oh fuck, I got to lose some weight. And I went on this carnivore diet and I lost like 12 pounds. And, but the, the point is that, that worked for me, but I'm not in this mental state where I'm constantly judging myself, and some people are, and it's not their fault. You know, you know what determinism, determinism is? Sure. Yeah. Some people don't. Some pe- there's, a, there's an argument of free will versus determinism, and uh, I think there's a real good argument for both, but the argument for determinism is you are who you are. I should explain this. Um, the idea is determinism is essentially based on the idea that you are you're a product of all of your life experiences and the idea that you are responsible for everything you do at every step of the day that's not entirely plausible because there's childhood trauma there's life experiences there's emotions there's genetics there's there's what you've had from all all these life experiences that you've tried to assimilate, and those are different than my life experiences, and everybody's are different, and who you are right now. Like, someone said to me one day, and it was kind of a compliment, I could never do what you did, what you do. Like, I could never do what you do. I go, you could if you were me. Right. It's not, it's not like, I'm not saying, that, there's nothing special about me. I am just who I am because of my life experiences and my genetics and all the things I've done. And you are who you are for all your life experiences and who you've done. And to expect someone who has had bad input and bad emotional guidance and uh, bad perceptions of their own physical health and their identity, to accept them to just get their shit together. 
is is ridiculous. Yeah. It really is. And but they can do it. Some people can do it. Yeah. You obviously did it. You know, and that's probably the best piece of fuel and inspiration for anyone out there that's looking to get their life together physically, metabolically, healthy. How, what's the best? Be- the best is someone who is at rock bottom, who is 500 plus pounds, and worked their way back to, like I said, a guy would I, I would avoid in jiu-jitsu class. I would love that. I mean, it's, it's really what it is. I'm like, fuck that big compliment. guy. Get away from me, dude. Yeah. But that's what you did. And I think um, in that, you can help so many fucking people. But I mean, you are a gift. In, in so many ways because what you've done is so extraordinary the accomplishment is so it's magnificent I mean it really is it's an amazing accomplishment not just because of your own personal health and what you've done and the way you look which is incredible incredible achievement but you you're a fuel man you're a rocket fuel for all these other people yeah because they, they look at you and go I can do that yeah I can do that if and I just they can they can yeah f- certainly I, I I think um I think you had him on the show too. Robert Sapolsky makes a yes. great argument for determinism. He does. He's the guy who I read and I go, oh shit, I don't have free will. Right. But I think that as my perspective shifts, I do today feel as though I have free will. I have to battle through everything that makes me me still, but I can do that and I can win. Yeah. There was certainly a point where the momentum was su- such in the other direction that I failed time and time again. And and again, it kind of always came down to, I wasn't addressing how I arrived in the state I arrived at. I was addressing how do I lose weight, thinking that was the only piece of the puzzle that I was missing. Mm. And so once I'd lose weight and I'd wake up and go, well, none of the habits that I had cultivated for decades to get me to this bad place or this place that I deem non-optimal have been addressed. And by not addressing them, they still exist. And now here I am repeating this cycle over Mm. and over and over again. Today, I have whatever version of free will I feel that I have, I feel very confident in decision making because I can kind of work through these ideas. But there was a long time where it it is tough to, to have the attitude with somebody who's who's in the middle of it and just go like, just make a decision. It's, it's, it's a rough position to put them in because you can make that decision a hundred times and fail. Mm. It's also your body is trying to trick you into sabotaging your progress. Yeah. Which is really one of the most fucked up things about the weight loss uh, addiction, which makes it so much more difficult than I think most addictions, is that you have to eat. Yeah. You don't have to gamble. Right. Or do, do drugs. Do you, right. But do you know anyone who's a gambling addict? Yes. It's really fascinating because it is a drug. Yeah. But it's a weird drug. It's a drug that your brain makes. Yeah. Like, uh, I uh, didn't know anyone who was a gambling addict until I started playing pool. And then uh, I was hanging around this pool hall. When I was uh, like 22, 23 years old, it's a place called White Plains Billiards in uh, in White Plains, New York. Executive Billiards, rather, in White Plains, New York. And Executive Billiards was a full-on degenerate pool hall. It was just guys that were gambling, a lot of guys who lived in flop houses. They always had like $10 to their name, and they would bet that $10, and then try to bum money off of people. I mean, and it was, as a young guy who came from sports, you know, came from martial arts, and I was, you know, 
I was like goal oriented and I was I was trying to be very disciplined in my life to see these guys live like this. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. I just enjoyed the game of pool, so I was trying to learn this game and these guys that were really into it were also degenerate gamblers. And and almost all of them. I mean, to a man, they were degenerate gamblers. And to watch these people get jazzed up for gambling and for bets, they would bet on anything, man. Raindrops going down a window pane. They would gamble on yeah. which drop. Like you see their eyes glaze over a little bit. Oh my bit. god, they just wanted that fix. Yes, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, and they'd win. <laughs> I mean, crazy. They would gamble on cards. They would roll dice. They would do anything. They would gamble on shots, make a shot, set a shot up. They would they would give people crazy games. But it is one hundred percent a drug. But it's a drug you can avoid. Yeah. Just don't go to the pool hall. To get talk to a counselor. It seems like an easier one to get away from. But the food one's crazy. Yeah. Because you have to you eat. Have to eat. Yeah. You have to. There was a time when, uh, and it's so bizarre that it came out and they modeled it after Soylent Green, which ultimately turned out to be people at the end. Yeah. Spoiler alert <laughs> for anybody who hasn't seen that movie. Um, it's from the 60s, It's, it's right? a long time ago. Yes. We haven't ruined anything, hopefully. But uh, there's a Soylent drink, which is pretty bland, but they have all, and they design it to like, here's my weight and height and activity level. And they give you these drinks and you basically stop eating. Um, and I, when I heard about that, I was like, fuck, cause I'm sober. And I, and I totally understand this kind of black and white, like mm -hmm. when I'm doing something, I'm doing it a hundred percent, whether that's eating cheeseburgers at 4am or, you know, scoring Coke and, and drinking a lot. Um, if I can just give up food and drink the Soylent shit for the rest of my life, maybe I'm maybe I'm solved. Maybe that's the key to me. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't think that's even really a realistic thing to no, do. No, I don't think that's the key. I mean, I think it's a tool, you know, and you can use tools to kind of help you bridge gaps in between where you are and where you want to be. But it's again, it's like, who are you? Are you? I mean, for some people, that's not a good tool. For some people, it is. It's yeah. that we have to come to grips with the fact that human beings are so different from each other. We're so similar and yet so different. And so much of your life experience and your genetics and all these different things determine who you are currently. And to say, just get on this Soylent drink for someone who just craves the flavors of food. And, you know, Action Bronson was on the podcast recently, and he's a chef. Yeah. So for him. Real tough. Yeah, real tough. But he also had a son. And when he had a kid and he realized he was ridiculously overweight and sedentary and wasn't doing anything. And now he's a fucking beast. That yeah. guy trains so hard. He trains every day. One of the first things he did when he booked the show out here, he said, hey, I need a gym to go to. Right. And I said, go to my gym, on at Gyms, just down the street. Yeah. It's a little bit away from here. We'll set you up. We'll get you a trainer. We'll, we worked, I worked out with him. He fucking works out hard, man. He goes after it. Yeah. He really does. I was really impressed. I, I, I worry sometimes for some people that trading or trying to handle being obese with exercise for me, that's a scary proposition because I've, I've done that. And the minute that you miss a workout or miss a few or you hurt yourself, if you haven't ad adjusted your food, right. you're gaining weight. Again. Yeah. So I, I really do. I train every day. I, I take a day off a week. But, but, and it's very important to me to get into the gym. But I do that because it makes me feel better. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I do it for fitness and I guess I do it for health. I do it for all those things, for sure, but I really do it for my head. Yeah, me too. 
I, and I get, I feel you know I'm a I'm a broken record. I talk people don't even know what a broken record is anymore. These <laughs> fucking kids today, they don't. You a don't broken know broken MP3. You, have you ever heard a broken record? You ever heard a record skipped? You fucking young Jamie. Um, the but the message is really clear. People out there that are not exercising, you're doing your brain a disservice more than anything. I know it sucks. I know you don't want to do it. But if you can do it, it'll relieve so much anxiety. When I when I talk to people that are on anti-anxiety medication or SSRIs and all these different things, my first question is always, do you exercise? Yeah. And they'll look at you like you're talking to a cancer patient, like, how'd you do this? How'd you get there? <laughs> right. why, why'd you, why do you have cancer, man? Like that's not, I'm just saying, listen, if you exercise, I guarantee you feel, it might not fix everything, right. but it'll fix a lot for a lot of people. Yeah. And- for me, it started with just taking a walk. Like when I couldn't, when the idea of exercise was insurmountable, just how far can I walk? And then can I walk a little further the next day? Mm. And then can I beat that? You know, and I'm saying like, when I'm used to just walking to my car from my front door, can I walk past my car? Literally, if that's it, at 550 pounds, it might be that small. Right. But if you go into it with the attitude of, of, of setting goals and you see that you can achieve this goal and then you can beat it and you can go a little further, I wouldn't use that to address weight loss, but just to feel that you can accomplish something with your body is a big deal. There was a lady that I used to yoga with and uh, I watched her lose about 100 pounds in a year. Wow. It was incredible. And I remember I brought it up to her, and I was trying to figure out how to bring it up to her because I could tell she got, like, super uncomfortable. And I was like, shit. Like, I'm trying to be nice here, but I'm addressing the fact that she was gigantic, and now <laughs> she's just big. Right. Um, and I said, I, I, don't, I don't remember what I said, but it's something along the lines of, I think your um, – your consistency is incredibly inspirational. I said, I, th I think it's awesome. You're in here all the time. But I mean, by saying that, I'm saying you're acknowledging. Yeah, I'm acknowledging <clears throat> that there's an issue. You yeah. know, and that's it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. They'd rather just be invisible. Yeah, you know. And, but I had to. I spent I mean, the the majority of my life trying to be invisible, yeah. trying to. Um, you know, I I wore shirts at the beach, which was a was made me feel like I was covered up. I mean, you look at the white fucking shirt with water. It's a wet t-shirt. You can see through it. It's not hiding anything. Right. But it made me feel less present. I always, I have terrible posture simply because I try to be smaller, right? Mm. And now, like, you call me a gorilla, it makes me feel good. When I was 500 pounds, had you called me a gorilla, I would have been like, oh my God, this is awful, you know, because yeah. gorillas are big. Yeah. And it's just a weird thing. But I think... um you know, I think it's nice to acknowledge people when you see something and God, what a what a wonderful way you did that by just saying her consistency. Like you're acknowledging everything. You're not pointing out to her that there was anything wrong with her. You're simply stating like you admire what she's doing. That's a nice that's a I think that's a kind way to acknowledge somebody. I was trying. I was trying to be kind and I was being really honest. She really is impressive. It's and you know, it was just it's amazing to watch someone just decide at some point in time, enough is enough, I'm going to do something. And that lady was in there every day. And I wasn't in there every day. Yeah. I was only going to yoga a couple days a week. And I'd go in there. I'm like, again? You're here again? Yeah. She was such a nice lady, too. And then the instructor said, how much have you lost so far? And I think she was, at that time, she was closing in on 100 pounds, which wow. was amazing. Yeah. 
but you know you could see the consistency uh, was changing like her practice like first for the beginning of the year versus the end of the year she was deeper into poses she could hold things longer and this is hot yoga too which is you know rough stuff it's uh, 105 degrees. All forms of exercise, indoor exercise. The only th- time I thought I was going to potentially die was hot yoga. And the teacher said, "We have one rule here: you cannot leave. If yeah. you can't do anything, you just lay down." And I laid down and thought, "I'm going to lay here and die because I'm too scared to tell this teacher to go fuck herself because I, <laughs> I'm not allowed to leave." And she said, "We locked the door. I'll kick a fucking hole through the door." <laughs> I, I laid there for the rest of the class with my heart rate jacked up yeah. and thought like. I can't believe I'm going to allow myself to die in this sauna yeah. because sh- this chick has a rule. Yeah, but that rule's good for your head. It's uh, it's not good for everybody. You really should have ice cold water. I bring a gigantic hydro flask, like a 64 ounce hydro flask, and it's mostly ice and water. Yeah. You know, like mostly ice and then water because it's going to melt during the class. Right. And I was like always trying to find the right level of ice to water. So <laughs> the end of the class had a little bit of ice, but not much. But, um, it's there's something about that too there's a study they're doing right now i believe it's at harvard um where they're trying to figure out whether or not uh hot yoga mimics the same sort of effects in terms of heat shock proteins that sauna does right because sauna is insanely beneficial for you but one thing it definitely does is it tests your brain in a unique way because like you want to get out of there because you want relief and then it but if you could talk yourself into not getting that relief until the end you've got a victory it's a victory for the day my victory was simply that i didn't die <laughs> and i was really convinced you only I did it once die. i did it one time <laughs> and i did it after a spinning class it was it was a very oh my stupid god move. jesus yeah. christ that's crazy yeah it was not smart wow that's a risky move spinning class is fucking hard yeah period yeah and then to go yoga after spinning class that's preposterous it was off. <sighs> I used to again. do, well, there's a couple times I did it, and I, I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm getting mauled. I would go yoga in the morning, then jujitsu at night. Yeah. I would just get lot. mauled. Yeah. I just like, I'm, I'm so tired of getting my ass kicked. Because <laughs> yeah. I would be at like legit 60% of what I'm capable of. I was like, oh, I have no pop, no explosiveness. My yeah. body's just so tired. My body's like, what are you doing, stupid? Like, you just killed me <laughs> five hours ago, and now you're doing this? You're in here doing this, this thing that can kill you also. It's, it's so good for your fucking head, though. That's how I feel about sauna, too. Like one of the things that I like most about sauna is that I don't like it. I don't like the last five minutes are so hard. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's fucking, it's so rough. Because you're sitting there, and it's, you every. Every impulse you have is to get the fuck out of there. The door is right there. Like, what's wrong with you? Open that door and you, ah, cool, jump in the shower, cold water, let's get free. Right. Nope. Stay. You have a timer. I think that that is the thing that that I like about exercise because I I, sometimes the night before I'm looking forward to it, like I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow, first thing I'm going to feel better. The morning of, I'm never super amped up to get to the gym and start working out. And there's always a little bit of struggle there. Mm -hmm. It's never something I'm close to losing the struggle on nowadays. But making it through is a big deal for me. And the fact that I put – and when I string together a succession of making it through, the momentum carries me a long way. Uh, Any day that I miss it and I lose that fight, it's it's like – 
a massive swing in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Psychologically. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way too. Um, I always uh, am less enthusiastic about getting to a place where I have to work out with other people. Yeah. Which is weird. It's like that's the one where all of my bitch ass instincts are like, stay home. Stop. Right. Oh, don't you? Does your back hurt or something? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you feeling tired today? You know, like, and people say, oh, you know, you work out so hard, you must be really disciplined. I'm like, I'm kind of disciplined, but I'm kind of lazy. <laughs> like, I'm like the most lazy, disciplined person you'll ever meet because I always do it. Yeah. But I always don't want to, but I always do it. You know, I, I'm very consistent in my actions. But there's part of me, like, and David Goggins said that about uh, himself. He was like, people think that it's easy for me. He goes, sometimes I look at my shoes, I stare at those motherfuckers for a half hour before I put them on. Yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. He's, a he's fucking, fucking amazing. He's a monster. I he's hope a monster. that people are watching him and going, if I need to use him just to walk to the bathroom, that's what. I should use him for it. Do, do you yes. know what I mean? It yes. doesn't all anything. have to be ultra marathons. Right, right, right. Anything, anything. Walk around the block. Anything. Yeah. Anything. Get get work done that you need to get work that you need to get done. Don't just sit in your house. Sitting in your house and being lethargic is so fucking bad for you. There's something about like nature or genetics or what would whatever our code is that when you're doing literally nothing, just laying around doing nothing. Your body's like, what the fuck is the point? Like, what are we here for? Yeah. And what people don't recognize is like when you're laying around just watching television and then you shut the TV off and you feel like shit, like you're, you are artificially stimulated for hours and hours just staring at things happening while you did nothing. And then when you shut it off, the reality of your actual day sets in like, oh my God, I've done nothing. <laughs> right. But I thought I was doing something. I thought it was... I was in a fucking Aston Martin being chased because I was James Bond. Yeah. And the guys are shooting. But no, you really weren't doing anything. But yeah. it's, you're getting this weird fake stimulation. It's so bad for you. I'm not saying it's bad for you all the time. It's great when you've accomplished things and you feel good and you want to just enjoy something, give yourself a little reward. And I'm a firm believer in rewards. But man, when I waste a day, I feel like such a fucking loser. It's, it's awful. It's awful for me too. Um, we arrive... It, at a day and age where you can be a professional video game player. You can have all your food left on your doorstep. Um, have you watched television recently? Yeah. I, I I hadn't watched television, just like network television in years. Oh, no, I don't watch that. You put it on, the commercials are all medication and food. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's yeah. fucking crazy. Like, the medication commercials freak me out. Yeah. And there's so many, like, Talk I didn't even doctor. know, like, there were these problems that existed that have medicines now, like, I, I shit you never heard of. Um, it's, it seems unethical, and it seems weird that it's allowed, like, for sure, you know we're only one of two countries on planet Earth that allows that? I didn't know that. What's the other country? It's New Zealand. Wow. United States and New Zealand's doing way better than us, by the way. Right. <laughs> I think they're brushing it off a little easier, but- yeah. It just seems wrong. Like your doctor should be the one telling you if you need fucking medication and you should go to your doctor because psychosomatic disorders are real, yeah. you know, and also this idea that watching something on television and in a commercial and you're like, oh, I have all those problems. Real simple, real clean. Talk to your doctor. Oh, I'm going to go talk to my doctor about this. Right. Like, what about hypochondriacs, man? <laughs> right. what, what about crazy people? Like yeah. you, you're just get f f fucking their head up all day long. Which is a real problem with people. If you if you say to people, if you plant those seeds in their head, 
do you have this? Do you have that? Is this wrong? Do you feel bad about this? You're like, oh, do I? I mean, maybe I do. We're, we're so malleable, yeah. you know, that to influence us with drugs, and then they hit you with side effects may include, and then they may include. Right. What if they the, definitely included? There's, there's, there's almost always colitis and rectal bleeding, and that's the <laughs> one that I just go like, who the fuck wants to, that's not a trade-off. And the thing is, it's like, may include is weird, because what if it said always include? Like, take this, and this is definitely going to happen. You'd be like, I'm not taking that. Yeah. It might happen, but right. it might not. Maybe you'll feel better. Maybe your toes won't hurt. You know, like, <laughs> right. oh, Jesus. Psychosis Christ. and colitis are the two where, like, I just go, like, any problem I have, yeah. I'll just, you know, fix it with nutrition before I try to, this Good drug. Good for you. Good That's for what you. I'll try. Yeah. But here's the thing. I Like, I'm kind of full of shit because I watch those commercials. They don't do shit to me. Right. I watch those commercials and, uh, you know, like I see some girl spinning around in the field, you know, fields of wheat and flowers. I don't think I need to get on birth control. <laughs> like, it's like whatever she's on, it's not. I, so I'm kind of full of shit because it doesn't affect me. So why am I upset about it? Why do I give a shit? Yeah. Because this is the problem that I have with a lot of things that people are very upset about today. Like, um, whether it's uh, conspiracy theories or or whatever it is, there's people that out there that want to protect other people from bullshit, and I kind of I get it. I get where they're coming from, but why doesn't it bother me? Like I think though, I think though that you know, and I, I think I know what you're talking about. I think we've come to another point where there's an assumption that we all have the exact same set of values, right? And like. When I hear people say, I'm siding with science, my first instinct is to ask when science developed a set of values or morals. Because mm. there's, no, there's no scientific moral code. There's no, yeah. That doesn't exist. If, if you want to place some value on a scientific outcome, that's a human point of view. It's an opinion that forces that scientific outcome into a value system. And so if you sit back and you assume that everybody innately has the exact same set of values, then yeah, we can have these arguments based on science, not science. But if people don't necessarily have the same value system that you have, why would we want all this? Like, this is where I get into people who want to protect other people. And it's like, well, you're just assuming that all the things that you want are the things that they should want. Mm. And when I hear what people should want, I go like, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Right now, it's slightly difficult to talk about weight loss because I've been obese and now I'm not obese and I'm, I celebrate not being obese. I am much better off with the way I have structured my life because of having lost weight. But... I can't tell anybody else to do that, and I don't even really want to. If somebody wants to be overweight, if that's a trade-off they're willing to make, yeah. that's fine with me. But I think for the most part, most of the people I've spoken to, they don't want that. A lot of people seem to have goals that generally line up with mine, and then in talking to them, now there's this diet culture monster in the room where even that is attacked because there's a whole new set of values that are born that must be enforced. And mm -hmm. at some point, there's got to be the recognition that we don't all necessarily have to want the exact same stuff. Yeah. There's also so much biological variability, right? Like yeah. The things that 
would work on another person just don't work on you. You know, the sure. thing, yeah, including diet. You know, there's oh man, arguing about diets is another great one. And this, I, I, I really like talking about diets simply because there's at the end of the day, it's so much safer than politics because there's no military backing up a diet system. But <laughs> you, know, you talk about politics, and it's yeah. like we have a fucking military mm-hmm. to force you to do the shit we want you to do right. versus the other military that's going to force you the other way. But diets, it's like veganism versus carnivore. If we're just talking about weight loss, the other thing, some of these things get into like the minutia of health. If you've got a guy who's got 200 pounds to lose, why are we focusing on the minutia of health? I don't know that that's the right goal. If the goal is just weight loss, I don't think these are the same these are the same conversations. Yeah, I think I mean I think the the variety there's so many different things that need to happen to a person to force them into action. What do you think is the key things? Is it is it inspiration? Is is motivation? Is sometimes is it that you don't want to die or you don't want to be sick any longer that you're fed up or is it being inspired by a guy like David Goggins or Cameron Haynes or someone like that? For for me. For the very first time in my life, I I was thinking about the future in a way in terms of what I wanted out of life versus just like what makes me happy right this second. And I was seeing a girl who I'm now married to. We have a bunch of kids and, and I couldn't have a better life. Like 20 years ago, if I described to you the life I wanted in that moment, I've way surpassed that. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like I have to take a step back occasionally and go check you out. Look what you did. Yeah, that's amazing. That's at amazing. 500 pounds. I was not thinking I can be a dad. I can be a husband. I could teach little kids how to do stuff like this was not part of my I can't I could take my wife on a hike. I could go to the beach with her and not, you know, sit under a towel in the back because I'm scared of people looking at me. These were not the thoughts I was having. So that spark of motivation of like, what do I want out of life got me just so far because after an extreme diet, when you've crashed your metabolism and you then, and by the way, your body is fighting against you tooth and nail doing these things because this is, your body thinks you're starving to death. Right. You know? So it's trying to slow everything down. Slowing everything down. Um, Over long periods, you're not just consuming fat. You're consuming fat and lean tissue. Like, it's fucking tough. All your hormones are fucked up. You're, you're, uh, I forget the name of the hormone, but there's a hormone that makes you hungry. This is skyrocketing when you're on an extreme, extremely uh, caloric deficit diet. And, So then you go to like just eating like a normal person and you're watching what other people eat and you're eating this and you're fucking putting on weight again like at a rapid pace and going like this doesn't make sense. I thought I was cured. I lost all this weight. Um, I I watched a really fascinating TED talk by a guy named Mike Isratel about five years ago, four or five five years ago. And in it – and I had tried – I was dead convinced that I was allergic to – carbohydrates. And so I was like, I'll never eat a carbohydrate for the rest of my life. You thought you were allergic to carbohydrates. I was convinced that everybody, yes, that everybody was 
gluten intolerant that the way that we made bread in America with all the ingredients was just poisonous to the human body. I was totally convinced of this. And I watched this TED talk by Mike Isertel and in it, it's called the, uh, the Dietary Landscape of Healthy Eating. And he just goes over like, just be moderate. That's it. Just like try to figure out moderation. Nothing's poisonous. Nothing's off. Like salt. If you have no salt, you can die. If, if, you're, if sodium disappears from your diet, you can die. If you have too much salt, it can kill you. Like there's a, yeah. an amount, five grams, I think, at one time. And, and this was, I believe this study was done on small bodies, can kill you. It can be fatal. So is that poisonous or is it necessary? It's both. This is food for me. Like um, the way I was interacting with food, the idea that I'm a machine, like you, you're a car guy. You're not going to put diesel fuel in your gas car. You're not going to do that because it's going to break it. And, and I had to start really thinking about food in these terms and going like, I just have a bad relationship with food, a, a relationship that is giving me an outcome I don't want. How do I change that? Like utterly. Um, the first carbohydrates I ate after 15 years basically of being convinced that I was allergic to them, I was fucking terrified that I, it was going to be like cocaine and I was not going to be able to stop myself. <laughs> I was going to sit there with a bowl of rice. That's crazy. Lo and behold... Uh, rice or pasta without a bunch of oil and cheese is not fun enough to sit there and eat it like that. For me, maybe it is for somebody, but I couldn't do it. I got my cup of rice down and I was like, holy shit, I'm okay. I don't have to eat another cup. I don't have to eat the whole bag of rice. Um, This was like uh, night and day for me because for a long time, I tried to address myself with the diet. and, And now... I think diet is the most important aspect, but the other definition of diet, not restrictive, just how you eat. Yeah. Um, for performance, most people believe that carbohydrates are essential for peak performance. Yeah. Yeah, there's a Even lot of the people. Even the carnivore ultramarathon guys, right? Exactly. Zach Bitter. Yeah, Zach, who holds the world record for the fastest 100 miles run. He ran 100 miles, and I believe it was 11 hours and 40 minutes or some shit like that. Zach's a freak. I mean, he's a savage. And he takes in quite a bit of glucose while he's running. He uses glucose gels. He does a bunch of different things. But for the most part, he eats an, an animal-based diet. Yeah. And this, but this is him. You I know, know. There's other people that are doing it that are eating mostly pasta, and, you know, and, yeah. and they, they can do that too. I think at the end of the day, if you're, if you're a guy who – who the idea of giving up carbohydrates, if you need to lose a shitload of weight and the idea of giving up carbohydrates, if you can't really see that as a long-term thing, fucking don't. Right. Don't do it. What seems to work best for me, I've tried a bunch of different ways of eating. What seems to work best for me is meat and fish and vegetables. When I eat mostly just meat and fish and, and generally like salad or maybe sauteed broccoli or some sauteed broccolini or something like that, those things to me, it seems like I have zero issues with food. When I, when I go off the rails, it's pasta. Yeah. I'm a fucking glutton, dude. But it's, it's not just pasta, pasta, right? It's right. pasta with lots of sauce, lots cheeses, of sauce. creams. Yes, keep talking. Let me take my pants off. 
sausage. <laughs> Me too. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I just can't stop eating it, man. I mean, I'll have a. I, I could eat a full steak, like a a 16 ounce ribeye, and then a, if there's a bowl of pasta right next to it, I'll Crush keep going. It. But if I just have the steak, I'm fine. Yeah. Steak and a salad, like I'm good. I'm am done eating. I'm satisfied. But if that pasta is there, I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> and I and then I, my stomach will stick out. And I'll be in pain. I'll be like, oh, it yeah. sticks out my sides. It's like, and I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, you fucking slob. Like, what have you done to your body? Yeah. Because you forced your body to eat this glue. You know, because <laughs> right. when you chew it. Down. It's just paste. It's this like yeah. fucking bowl of paste you've stuffed in your sack. I try to eat some pasta. Pasta's like the least of it, and 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 I hate it without a ton of olive oil or Parmesan cheese. It's not fun, so it's not one of my go-to's. But I do have pasta or rice or whole grain bread or potatoes every day, a little bit. But for the most part, that's my diet. It's it's lean protein and vegetables. I seem to have very little uh, problem with rice. When I have rice, everything seems good. You know, it doesn't doesn't mean me. It makes me full, but I don't feel like shit. Yeah. You know, like rice seems to be no issue for me, particularly white rice. I was uh, shocked when I found out that brown rice is actually not as good for you as ri- white to rice digest, is. Yeah. And you're like, what? How's that possible? No, we were lied to as children. <laughs> they lied to us. Well, it just seems like you're you're you know you're eating something whole grain, man. Yeah. You know, it's like lick, man. Dude, when when um, gluten free bread was invented, because this happened in the midst of me becoming gluten free, and it was like a few years into it that suddenly it was like there's a there's a cookie shop. There's a bakery in, in West Hollywood that does gluten-free pastries. And then I was just like, oh, my God, they're speaking to me. And I would <laughs> go there every day, and I would eat muffins and cakes and shit, and I would go, it's gluten-free. And I would gain weight, and I'd be like, what the fuck is the problem? Sugar. There, there was no point that I was ever like, it's gluten for me has nothing to do with it. Now, if you have celiacs or Hachimoto's or something where gluten can mess with you, yeah, don't eat it. But- you know, there's so many trendy diets that come out and it's like you have a group of people that has failed so many times that they're de- desperate to just tell me the right thing to do. Yeah. Just sell me that. It, tell me gluten. Tell me I'm <laughs> allergic to gluten and I'll give it up. And if that will do it. You well, know? you know what actually has low gluten but is fucking delicious is sourdough bread. Yeah. Which is crazy, which is kind of the best tasting bread. I love it. Yeah. My buddy Tom Papa makes sourdough bread, and whenever he comes over, he brings me some. Jesus, we make a deal. Like, I give him elk meat, he gives me sourdough bread. His fucking sourdough bread is so goddamn good. Yeah. You put butter on it, just the sourdough bread and butter. It's like, incredible. Ah! Or I'll put Nutella on it if I really want to go <laughs> off the rails. It's so good. It's so good. But sourdough bread, something about the starter and something about the way, you know, there's the yeast in the bread or I don't I think the gluten consumes itself and then it becomes molecularly something else before you bake it. Yeah. When it's an actual uh, fermented bread. Right. And it's more delicious, which is crazy. Yeah. It's It's fantastic. so good. Yeah. And then we have Wonder Bread that has 31 ingredients. And- it's also good with bologna and American cheese, but like it probably has a shitload more calories. And what do you want from your body? Like at the end of the day, what do you want from the food you're eating? Is yeah. it just entertainment? Because I like to be entertained by food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I like to go to a place and see a fancy thing that's got all the fucking oil and shit on mm-hmm. it. I like that. That's fun. 
A but, peanut butter and jelly sandwich with Wonder Bread, not bad. Fucking incredible, dude. <laughs> incredible. When I was a kid, we used to use Wonder Bread for fishing. Yeah. We used to catch carp with it. Because <laughs> you take Wonder Bread, we used to buy a loaf of Wonder Bread, and we would roll up the, the, the Wonder Bread, balls. the little balls, and put it on a hook and toss it out, and the carp would get it. Yeah. It was well, the best bait for carp. I mean, it's either that or like worm guts. You know, that's the not the dis- most discerning fish, I think, at that point. Carps? Yeah. yeah. Carps is an odd fish. They, um, you know, they're really not supposed to be here. Like it's not it's not native to right. a lot of places around here. Have you ever seen those people where they're driving boats and the carp fly out of the water and hit them in the head? Yes, it's Asian carp. Yes, it's like for whatever reason when boats come by, they want to fly through the air and slam into the people that are riding the boats. It's incredible. It's the weirdest thing, man. People have been knocked out. Yeah, like out cold. Bam, get hit by a fish. It's a wonder that those fish are still around that they haven't just evolved extinct there's so many of them that's the thing they're so prolific they're a real problem because they're they're one of the weirder invasive species like i don't know how they got over here but there's some lakes and river systems that are just choked with these i think they're asian carp i think that's what it is because there's a that big red carp that uh i grew up um i lived in newton massachusetts and i lived right across the street from the charles river and the charles river had this waterfall like like down the street from my house, and I remember being there one day. We went on this Holy little shit. hike. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever seen this? I never saw it that crazy. Bro, I mean, that they're, was, they're nuts. That's like a mosh pit of car. Yeah, they don't. No one, no one knows why they do it, or I don't know why they do it. Maybe someone does, but yeah, when you're when you're driving by, they just go flying out of the water and hit people, and sometimes they just do it here, like they're just doing it on their own, and they land in the boats, but I don't think they're necessarily good to eat. Right. But obviously, there's fucking way too many of them. So people need to eat them. Yeah, so I go to... Are they edible? Are Asian carp edible? In this video, <clears throat> this video they do what they are making. It says the highest population is in the Illinois River. And it doesn't say why. I'm sure the video does. But yeah, they're making like fish, all sorts of stuff with it. What are they doing with them? Jesus. Uh, cooking it up. Oh. Oh, they make like carp balls. So what they're look at all the bones, bones in it. Yeah. So probably what they're doing is um, putting it with dough and like a crab cake type deal. Yeah, I was gonna say it was a crab cake, but I was like, wait, it's fish. I don't know. What is she saying? That, She's but... gonna lie. Oh, delicious. You're gonna putting a bunch of other shit on it, right? It's not like a piece of redfish. So you just have to grill with some salt and butter. <laughs> right. We have to add shit to our yeah. food. When I when I got to this waterfall down the street from my house, it was just choked with carp. Like 30, 40, 50 carp just on the surface of the water. I'm like, this is nuts. But it's really because they're not supposed to be there. Right. Like, there's supposed to be an ecosystem, right? There's big fish. The big fish kill the medium fish. Medium, fi- You know, it's like there's a whole thing going on. In this place, there was not that thing going there on. There were just there's, carp. And they're big, big fucking 30, 40-pound carp. Like, some of them were this big just floating around. Like, what the fuck? Like, how, and then, you know, you realize, like, someone released them in. And there's, a, like, in Lake Austin out here, there's a grass carp that I was just talking to a guy who's a fisherman who was telling me that it's a real problem on the lake because the grass carp have eaten all the grass. Right. So now the fish don't have cover. Like, the bass, they want to hide 
like so they can ah, jump out and snatch up the other fish, but there's no place to hide. So now they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> so they're going to go. Well, they're... And it'll be just grass carp at some point. Uh, maybe. Could be. But he said it's a, it's a real issue because like, the bottom of the lake has no vegetation anymore. It's all been eaten by these carp. And right. you see the carp occasionally. Big fat suckers just like belly up floating in the river and you're like, whoa. We, yeah, I mean, listen. There's got to be a healthy way to to use those carp. There, well, you know what? Someone was just saying this, and it's a really good point. That like invasive species, if you just found a way to make it profitable to go after those invasive species, like that's the solution that they're trying to come up with with the python in in um, Florida, because pythons are overrun in the Everglades. They're so bad in the Everglades that they've killed most of the mammal species, and they've started to eat alligators. Like Jesus Christ, really? Crazy. There's a photo of uh, this guy came upon, I think it was a 12-foot alligator being consumed by a python. That's how big they are. They killed all the deer. They've killed all the raccoons, all the rabbits. Anything that's on the ground is fucked by these pythons. But meanwhile, like commercially, python skin is illegal in California. As if they're endangered. Right. Like, they're not endangered at all. Like, California is so nuts. So you couldn't ship python skin from no. Florida to California. No, you cannot buy python goods from somewhere else and bring them to California. You're like, no, man. We just didn't believe in that. It's so dumb. It's like, they're not endangered. Not even a little. Right. And the idea that this, like, fucking sleazy reptile, like, this evil fuck that would swallow a baby in a heartbeat, like, that's what we're protecting? Yeah. But yet you can buy wool? Right, lambs. You can just walk up to a lamb pet, and they're sweet. They're so nice. <laughs> if they had, if they, if they did a python farm, you couldn't do that because they're endangered. They're not endangered. Right. I mean, in California, it's just exotic. They call it exotic. Right. And, and then you can't get exotic. They're they're trying to make. I believe they might have made it recently illegal to bring an alligator, which is more preposterous because there's places in Louisiana and in Florida that are infested with alligators. So much so, if you ever watch that Swamp People show, yeah. One of the guys on that show was talking about the the tags, like the allocations of tags that means how many alligators you could t- kill per season. He's a commercial alligator. 500. They were giving him 500 alligators he could kill. That means there's so many alligators. Yeah, that's insane. When I was a kid, I lived in Florida for a little bit. We lived in Gainesville, Florida, and it was right near Lake Alice. And Lake Alice had alligators, but they were endangered. Right. At the time, because I guess people like hunted them to the point where they had gotten down to very low numbers and they were trying to save the alligators, but they fucked up and saved them too much. And now they're just overrun. They just show up on golf courses. They, they're walking through people's backyards. All, these, all they got to do is eat one little kid. But they don't. That's not over. true. They ate a little kid in Orlando. Did they? At Disney World. They grabbed a little kid. A two-year-old baby came out of the fucking pond at Disney World and snatched up a baby. Wow, bro, that's crazy. That's the thing. You can't keep them out of lakes. There's so many of them. They find they slither in the middle of the night. You don't even know they're there. Like they'll walk a few hundred yards. You didn't know they were in the woods, and then they walk a few hundred yards. They slide into the lake, and they feel like little little feet. Walking by the water, and they and just jumped food. out and snatched up this baby. Is uh, can they make the jump to salt water like crocodiles, or no? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, that w- if they if they started to mess with the beaches, that that might get them shut down. I don't know. People are weird. 
when we decide that something needs to be protected, we're like, we have to protect it, man. We protect it. We with have all to protect costs. it forever and ever and ever. We yeah. we never let it go. Like that's they're dealing with that with, with wolves in some places. Like they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone in the 1990s, and they spread through Idaho and all these different areas. And they've gotten to the point now where uh, I think it was in Idaho they just decided that they have to kill all the wolves except for like a small number of them. They have to get them down to like a few hundred wolves because there's so many fucking wolves. They're like decimating the elk populations and they're encroaching into people's ranches and killing steers and- uh, But they were uh, endangered yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they poisoned them to the point where um, at the turn of the century, they were virtually extinct. And then they had to go to Canada and bring wolves from Canada and then repopulate Yellowstone. But isn't there a point where they can say, scientifically, we have determined that they are no longer virtually extinct, and scientifically that means some are on limits to hunt? Oh, Ethan, you're talking logically. <laughs> you can't do exist. that. With my friend Steve Rinella, what he calls, um, uh, what is it called, uh, charismatic megafauna. And that's what wolves are. They're charismatic. There's something about wolves. Oh, they're cute. They're cuddly. Well, they're, they're majestic, man. I mean, I don't want wolves to go away. Wolves are fucking amazing. I've only seen one once in the wild, and it was really, it was in Canada. It was real blurry. It was at dusk. I saw this like dog like thing run across the road. I'm like, oh shit, that's a wolf. Right. And they have a lot of them up there. Um, it was, I uh, can't think of a single animal I want to go away, but when an animal, like, like pigs in, in this state, oh, yeah. there's a lot of pigs, and yeah. people have a lot of feelings about the way the pigs are hunted. But. There's a lot of fucking pigs. They don't have any feelings about the way the pigs are hunted in Texas. The Texans don't. They don't give California a fuck. California feels a lot of ways about the way pigs <laughs> exactly. are hunted in Texas. They're like, no, save them with the pythons and put them all in a happy family. Right. They're one generation away from being Wilbur. Just domesticate <laughs> all the pigs. You know, that is the truth. That's what's weird about them. Yeah. What's weird about pigs is that if you took a, a regular pig, like a domestic pig, and you let it loose, within, I think- Five or six weeks, they start to transform and into they, those boars with mm -hmm. the hair and the tusks. That is, that's the what's crazy is that they're the same animal. It's it's all one genus. It's called Suscrofa, and all of them are the same. Domestic pigs are just wild pigs that have been domesticated. Like if you take a domestic pig, they look all pink and white, and you let them go, their snout elongates, their tusks lengthen, and it happens quick. Right. Like, do you ever heard of Hogzilla? Yes, yeah. the gigantic one. <laughs> yes, yes. Hogzilla is, uh, there, there's a lot of thoughts on Hogzilla. It's a super controversial animal because a lot of people think it's a tr perspective trick. And But but there are thousand pound pigs out there. There's definitely thousand pound domestic pigs, I believe. Well, let's find out. What's the largest domestic pig ever recorded? I'm going to guess it's over a thousand pounds. Yeah. What do you think? 1,200? Yeah, that sounds about right. What are you guessing, Jamie? Ah, what the fuck are you doing? You going crazy? Look at you. We went way too big for him. He get he got reckless, knocking over Mike's chance. I just got the chance to see the number though, so oh, I okay. have a number in my head. That's what was the number awesome. in your head? I don't. I didn't have one yet. Oh, I didn't okay. have a chance to think. Of. You didn't ask me yet. Okay. I wasn't thinking. What's the real number? Uh, it said over a thousand, but this uh, like Wikipedia says weight was seven ninety four. Hmm. I don't understand. It says Hogzilla weighed over a thousand pounds, but, but then Wikipedia says the largest domestic pig is seven hundred ninety-four pounds. Hogzilla was feral, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, what they think though is that Hogzilla was one of those domestic pigs that broke, so what it fattened fuck? up and then broke through fencing and then went out okay. and 
started the transformation. So once pigs fend for themselves, it's so weird. Like a switch goes off in their brain and their fur gets thicker and denser. Like they change. They The same exact animal changes. And it's really quickly. All right. What were the guesses? I said 1,000. I he said, said 1,200. 12. I'm way off apparently. Uh, Big Bill uh, from Jackson, Tennessee in 1933 was a Poland-China breed of hog that tipped the scales at 2,552 pounds. What? You have a picture of Big Bill? I was going to look. I don't, That's I a doubt big it, maybe. fucking pig. That's a big fucking pig. Yeah. Let me see. Big, big Bill. What the fuck? Wow. What the oh, fuck? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That thing just must have no life. That's just constant food. Pig. That was 1908? 1933, I think. Oh, is, 33. Yeah, yeah. And so if a pig that size gets out, has access to food, yeah, it's going to go feral. Yeah, and that's what, uh, again, this is my friend Stephen Runella, who's an, a legitimate wildlife expert. Pull, pull up Hogzilla. Pull up a photo of Hogzilla. Yeah, see, there's Hogzilla. See that photo right there? The goat, yeah, that's a good one. But the one hanging from the legs, like right there, yeah. See, that's a bit of a perspective trick. Because I think the pig is several. It's like if you catch a big bass, you do this. You hold it in front of you with your arms extended, and it makes it look bigger. But even this pig going into the dumpster. That's a fucking legit giant pig, pig, man. I don't give a fuck. That's a legit giant pig. Look how little his feet are. Imagine that was a man. That's in Hong Kong, too. Little girl feet and giant body. (laughs) Look at the size of his feet. That's so weird. Um, Hogzilla, though, you go, go to that photo again of the, whoa, fuck like in that. someone's yard. Alabama, that's in someone's yard. Look at the size of that thing. That looks like one of those giant cows. That's so, look at his balls. <laughs> Holy fuck. And Tom, th- Tom thinks he comes a lot. Imagine what that pig does. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. I can't believe how big that thing is, that guy's yard. Well, that's hard to tell. That might be little. That's a sow, too. But the other one was enormous. It, it looks like the same. It no, that, it's okay. different. It's definitely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. The, you see that how the head is bigger? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a male. But the balls, the balls on that thing wandering through someone's yard. But p- that photo with it's covered in mud, that one in the middle, yeah, where it's hanging. See, that is a, that's the super controversial Hogzilla photo. Because he could be standing a few feet back and then yeah. he, the thing just looks You don't gigantic. know, like that could be a 500-pound pig, which my friend shot a 300-pound pig real recently. They're real. And um, there's a lot of them. I'm going to show you something. My friend John Hennessy, he sent me this uh, just uh, yesterday. There's a place where they hunt them at night. What is this? Look at this. Look how many of them there are. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is outside of Houston. And those are about 300 pounds? Or the one he got was much bigger than that? No, those? this is a different friend. Oh. Um, but the, just the, I'm going to send you this, Jamie. Oh, I just uh, airdropped it to you. It's just the, the, sheer, the sheer amount of them. Oh, here you go. The sheer amount of them in that photo. And that's just one photo, one random photo from a trail camera that shows how many pigs are just wandering through this field. And what they they're really hard to get close to in the day because they're very smart, but their eyesight sucks. So what they do is they set up at night with night vision and just like they look for these weird glowing bodies and they take them out. That one in front looks pretty fucking big. But look, 
I mean, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's, That's a just lot of pigs. in the view. But they set these poor pigs up. Like, look, are they those got feeders out there? Are those feeders for pigs? I don't know. They might be for pigs, but they might be for deer as well. But Texas is a see another. There's like a tree stand back there or a feeder in the background. It's hard to tell. What I don't that think is. you can do any of that in California. No, it's illegal. Texas is a weird place when it comes to hunting because there's, I'm using air quotes, hunting ranches that are like 200 acres. So basically you're shooting your pets. (laughs) Like you've got like these animals that are corralled in this, I mean, it's harvesting meat and it's probably in some way more ethical than farming. It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. Yeah. It doesn't seem like quite what I imagine when I think of hunting. I like to go where they live. Yeah. I like I mean, but they the those woods. things live there. Well, those things are different. They don't look at wild pigs as like a game animal. Right. They're a nuisance animal, but they're delicious, which is crazy. They really are like some of the best meat. Like wild pigs, if you cook like some pulled pork from wild boar, it is damn delicious. And if you, if you have a really good chef that knows how to cook wild game well, and they, they can like put one on a Traeger, oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it just, we get, we get into again, what the values are. California has a whole different set of values, but I also yeah. don't think we have a pig problem like that. They do. They do they? Do. Yeah, they have wild pigs that have invaded San Diego. Oh, excuse me, uh, San Jose. Really? Yeah, they're they're in people's lawns in San Jose, fucking them, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it because they're like they're encroaching on like the tech community. California, you have to humanely capture the pig and then drive it out into the middle of nowhere and release it, I believe. You can kill them. You can kill as many as you want, actually. Oh, really? Yes, but you have, a, you have to have a tag for them. Okay. The difference between California and everywhere else is, like in Texas, you don't even have to have a tag. If you have a hunting license, you can go out and you can shoot 30, 40 pigs out of a helicopter. No one <laughs> right. get, legitimately. Have you ever seen that? I have. That's they, that's how they do it in a lot of places because it's literally the only way to get close enough to them. So they circle around in helicopters and they gun them down with machine guns. It's bananas. Yeah. In California, obviously you can't do that, but you can kill like thirty pigs in a day. But you have to have a tag for all these pigs. And, and if they're tag costs money. If they're in San Jose, you can't hunt in. Exactly. You You gotta find them somewhere else. Yeah, in a place like San Jose, in an urban environment, I'm pretty sure you have to capture them. Yeah. See if you can find uh, wild pigs invade San Jose. There was a news article that showed video. I'm trying to find something newer than October. So I have a bunch of stories from October, which is like six months ago. That's all right. Doesn't matter. You don't have to get newer. Just show me some video because it's pretty crazy. This guy's sitting in his house and he's watching these big ass fucking pigs just chew his lawn apart. Just in a city, <laughs> in, in city. a city house. Yeah, it's like, like a, regular, a suburban nice, house. Nice suburban house. Wow. Nice lawn. They're getting fucked up by pigs. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Well, th- a lot of them were brought over there. But did we dispute this? William Randolph Hearst was responsible for a lot of them. His, uh, you know, he, at the castle, he yeah. wanted pigs. He wanted pigs. He wanted a lot of other animals. Like, yeah, this is. Uh, City to allow archery to hunt wild pigs. So, so they, they weren't going to. <laughs> That's how you get around the gun Oh, law. they weren't going so, to? So I'm saying this is like, this is October 7th, there was October 23rd, said they weren't. I was trying to figure out if it's, it said there oh, was 24 it pigs were running around, so it doesn't sound like they could have caught all 24 The pigs problem with archery in a neighborhood is like people suck. <laughs> you know, archery's hard to learn. I don't want some guy who just picked up a fucking bow and he, he starts launching arrows 
into other people's yards and, you know, hits someone's window, hits a kid. You know, people are... I mean, it all seems like a bad idea in a neighborhood. Yeah, you know, archery's tricky. So some guys uh trying to make it. Often they have large teeth and are not afraid of people. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, hunting in a neighborhood is... Uh, any kind of archery hunting, like... Telling someone they should archery hunt is like telling someone they should jujitsu fight, right? You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Just yeah. go in there, jujitsu. Yeah, just yeah. go choke people. Like, yeah. so fuck. There's a lot of work involved, man. Like, you want to learn how to archery hunt? Like pigs. Pigs are smart. It's a very specific skill that yeah. you have to spend a lot of time. A lot on. of time. Yeah. And how are you going to get close enough to shoot that pig? Because if you're not really good with a bow, you're going to have to figure out how to get twenty yards from it. Right. And even They're that's run away. Yeah. You're not going to get 20 yards from a pig. That's close, man. Yeah. 20 yards is 20 steps. Right. You know, le- like legitimately. I I don't I I don't think I don't think that's going to work. I can't I can't <laughs> I mean I can't picture myself getting I mean no, but maybe Cal- slightly closer to a chipmunk or a squirrel or something. <laughs> maybe. Maybe if they're near the tree. Right. And they're you know? super used to you being there. Yeah, my dog got a possum the other day. And I think he thought he killed the possum. It's kind of hilarious because possums play possum. Right. You know, my dog is a golden retriever. He's not a vicious dog, but he got this possum. And now he has the craziest bloodlust. It's so nuts. All he wants to do is go out and find animals. Like right. he's got like this video game he's playing. It's like he's an addict. Yeah. He just runs up to trees and he's looking for squirrels and he's looking for, <laughs> where's that fucking possum? Where's my friend the possum? Like the possum lived. Like he didn't even make it bleed. Like he just kind of like, Attack the possum, bit it, and then let it go, and it just laid there. It's like this. Like, possums, I don't understand what they're doing. I don't know what kind of weird evolutionary benefit there would be in pretending to be dead. Maybe that. Maybe it's something like with your dog didn't want to eat it. He just wanted the thrill of killing it. He definitely was trying to capture it. I don't even think he necessarily wants to kill it. I think what he really wants to do is bring it back to you. Right. Like his whole thing is he's a retriever. His whole thing is bringing things back. Like, look what I got. Yeah. You know, but when we found this, he wasn't coming. Like I was go, Marshall, come on, buddy. Come on. What's up, buddy? And he wasn't coming. I go, Marshall, come on. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then uh, we found out he had a possum. And then we go to the possum or the possum's line. First of all, possums have giant teeth. Have you ever been up to one up no. close? Uh-uh. They look like predators, but they're not. They eat like berries and nuts and shit. What are the teeth for? I don't know, man, but they're giant, which is crazy, right? You think they're going to defend themselves. Yeah. But they don't even defend themselves. They're just like, <laughs> they freeze up. It's the craziest animal. And then Marshall wanted nothing to do with it after that. Well, he did, and I, but I could get him away. He's, he's a great dog. He listens. I'm like, come on, man, get the fuck away from that, because I was, didn't want him to catch a disease or whatever. And uh, I was like, this thing's alive. And so we just threw the thing over the fence, and uh, it was alive. And right. then eventually got up and walked away. That's wild. It's, but what benefit does evolution... I mean, in, 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 what evolutionary benefit is there to just pretend you're dead? No, I mean, if most things are going to eat you, most things that capture you like yeah. that are going to eat you, there seems to be no benefit. Like, why, Here, Google that. Why yeah, do possums I've play? already got there. <laughs> Asked it. Do they know? Uh, is there a reason? Because a lot of animals will not. That's what it looked like. Will not uh, go after a already dead animal. Like that possum right there is alive. Yes. Dude, that's what it looked like. It looked exactly like that. Okay, many animals are turned off by dead prey 
an evolutionary tactic that keeps carnivores from consuming diseased food. Most predators will give up on prey that plays possum. Huh. Yep. They go completely catatonic, it says. Oh, wow. It's, it can take the marsupial anywhere from a few minutes to a few hours to become mobile again. While they can survive these types of encounters, they can still be injured. Scientists have found many possums in the wild wandering around with healed wounds from, and fractures likely from being attacked. So playing possum isn't an act. It's an involuntary reaction to threat. Wow. It's intonic immobility or thanatosis. And its body enters a catatonic state in response to fear. So they just, they freeze up like a bitch. In addition to seemingly feigning death, possums have other remarkable traits. They have prehensile, what is that word? Prehensile? Prehensile tails to climb tree branches. They're immune to pit viper venom. <laughs> Females give birth up to 18 babies at once, just 12 to 14 days after conception. Holy shit. That's insane. What a freaky animal. It worked. Yeah. They're still here. Yeah, exactly. Right? And they, they also look scary as fuck. Like, that thing looks like a giant rat. Yeah. With, I'm telling you, giant-ass teeth. This thing had giant teeth. And it was just, like, lying there like this. Like, ah. <laughs> These giant teeth. And my dog is now obsessed with finding another one. Yeah. Like, in the middle of the night last night. What does it say here? Here's a fun fact. A possum meets white dog in the Native American Algonquin language. Huh. White dog. Well, they kind of look like a dog. They kind of do a little bit, like a little weird coyote-looking thing. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, now he's uh, just completely obsessed with finding animals outside. It's like it sparked some some weird things. Like, I didn't even know how much fun this is. Right. So that's like his favorite thing to do. Yeah. Other than chase a ball and go swimming. Uh, what? We need to find that yeah. as a as a culture. And I say need because I needed to find that. So that kind of urge to exist outside or just outside of my house, just doing something with my body. Yes. This yeah. is an important thing. It was very important to me. I wouldn't recommend it for weight loss. I think they're two completely separate things. Right. It's a primal switch that gets activated and with just feeling your body move and feeling satisfaction in physical activity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I and I say all that, and I'm like, if the dude who's a professional video game player loves to eat pizza and is perfectly happy, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. I was talking shit on professional video games once. Oh, boy, did they get upset. <coughs> but this is coming from someone who used to play a lot of video games. I have... Uh, addictive tendencies towards games like s serious addictive tendencies where i can't play video games and uh i but the thing is it's like if you could play golf for a living why is golf better than a video game because those video game guys make a shitload of money yeah they do now like and I shitload think, yeah and i think it's going to improve i think like the shitload now is going to be more, you know, in a few years. I think the, as these things get more and more immersive and then more and more people get involved and, and also in a lot of places, people go to watch them play. Well, I mean, you, you see whole stadiums filled up, but there are a ton of people that make money at home playing yeah. video games and, and people are tuning in to watch. I don't understand any of this <laughs> at all, but this is a real thing that our kids are growing up with. I think for them, it's exciting. You know, and like, was it StarCraft in Korea where they have those giant stadiums full of people? 
Starcraft. Four video games. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen it? No. You, should, you need to watch this. I saw there was one. I, I, a friend of mine's son was at um, one where a guy, I think his name is Ninja, won oh, something. Yeah. And this yeah. was big in America. But I didn't know they had specific stadiums for video games. This is wild. Yeah, there's uh, StarCraft is a particularly demanding strategy game that I've never played. I don't really understand it, but it's a top-down game. And you're looking down on this world, and you're moving these players around and doing all kinds of shit. And... These and you're doing many things simultaneously. Setting, it's, you're like playing war with, yeah. with this, these video game characters, and you'll see enormous stadiums, like fifteen thousand people, filled with cheering fans and giant screens, watching this game play out. The last time they're on the new game is now apparently this is not the current hot shit, if you will. Starcraft Two. Yeah, that clip we saw of a video game was one guy controlling all those guys. Yeah, that's what's nuts, man. You move things around. You got a bunch of things happening. But look at the size of the crowd, man. This guy's a star. He's walking through, high fiving people. Yes. Look at that. Look at that fucking crowd for a video game. It's I mean, not quite the Saitamo Super Arena. <laughs> not quite, but it's up there. It's on its way. Yeah, it's up there. But, I mean, you know, 15 years ago, there was this did not exist. Right. And now they're filling up arenas. Like, 15 years from now, who fucking knows? And you got to imagine that the games these guys are able to develop now in comparison to the games that will exist 15 years from now, they'll, they'll be even more immersive. They'll be, either be augmented reality or some form of virtual reality or some more insanely aggressively addictive version of these video games because they're yeah. so addictive i was given sometimes they give you presents you're going to start a movie and they give you gifts which is a bizarre thing to happen but i was given an xbox i was starting a movie given an xbox 15 or more years ago and I brought it home, and my wife said, "Ho, ho, ho! That doesn't come in this house. You can keep that in your trailer. And then when you're done, it, it's you're done with it." So I took it to my trailer. And one day after work, I started playing a game that I was playing sporadically. And the next thing I knew, they were knocking on my trailer, like, "Oh, you're here. Good. We're ready for you in hair and makeup." I sat in my trailer all night playing a video game. You didn't realize it. I had. I mean, I knew it was late, but I wasn't. No, I didn't realize that I was there for so you ten never went hours. To sleep. No. Oh, my God. And and that was kind of when I knew video games were not for me. <laughs> it, was, it was a bad, dark road. <sighs> They're fucking crazy addictive, man. And we've only begun to scratch the surface. At uh, my old studio, I had uh, a virtual reality, two virtual reality setups. I had an uh, HTC Vive, and I had an Oculus. And my kids would run to them when they came to the studio. They would just run to the Oculus and put it on and start playing games. Yeah. They couldn't wait. And I've had some people say that, like, video games are like, I had a, a conversation. You know Naval, N- Naval Ravikant? You know who he is? Uh-uh. Fascinating guy, big tech guy, really brilliant person. But he was like, he doesn't doesn't buy it. He's like, nobody plays uh, augmented rea- or vi- virtual reality. It's just doesn't, he doesn't think it's really going to catch on. I'm like, you need to see my kids. Right. They go bonkers for this shit. Because you can box in it. Like the boxing thing is like a legitimate workout, man. You do become inside of yeah. a universe. And you're boxing like some guy, like he's in the. You're in a ring, and you look at him across the ring, staring at you, and he's moving towards you. And when he hits you, you see a bla- a flash of uh, blinding light. Yeah, it's like whoa, yeah. And it's a workout, man. You get a good workout. I have a kid who believes uh, very heavily in the simulation. 
Mm. And she she's also a nihilist though. She's sixteen, oh, no. so it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird time for her. What happened? Sometimes she says she's an absurdist, and sometimes it's a nihilist, which I am happy that. Well, it just means she's very smart. She's yes. trying on these different schools of thought. Yes, and she will go into th- simulation theory, theory, and and I'm just like, if it's true, who cares? We're yeah. here. This is this whatever reality is what it is. If it's fake simulated reality, it's this is what we got. Mm. That's one way of looking at it. Um, the the com- I had a conversation with Nick Ballstrom once, and he's a guy who believes in the simulation. And what is what does he do? He's a, that we're in the simulation, yeah, 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 or that it's gonna happen. No, that we're in it. Okay. He was talking about probability theory, and it was one of those conversations where I was like, "Ooh, I'm too dumb for this one," you know, <laughs> which right. happens quite a bit, you know. And but with him, he was explaining how because of probability theory, because we know that we know virtual reality exists. We know that technology is ever evolving and that there's always constant innovation and then there's a real thirst for it. We also know that wherever we are right now, if we can stay alive, whatever our technology is today will pale in comparison to the technology from a thousand years ago. Then we know that there are literally hundreds of millions of stars in this galaxy, hundreds of billions, hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. Each one of those has who knows how many fucking stars. Each one of those has who knows how many planets. So that means in some of these, they've gone far past us if there is intelligent life out there in the universe, which they suppose there is, right? someone has figured out how to make something that's indiscernible from this. So if this is reality, if what we, you and I and Jamie and everybody else listening exist in is a real tangible reality that you can touch and feel and you can weigh and measure, but that one day we'll get to a place where there'll be a artificial reality that will be as amazing and as tactile as this and you won't be able to tell the difference Nick Bolstrom's arg- argument was because of those facts, it's more likely that it's already existed and that we're in it right now. I mean, again, that's a that's a heavy thought to run through. And I think that's exactly what my kid was trying to tell me. And that's fine. But I, I don't know what I do with it. It's just Elon believes in it, too, by the way. He believes we're in it. Yeah, he believes in the simulation. Yeah, I believe it's got, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know what, like, if if all of this is computer-generated or artificially generated, then what do we do? We, we keep doing what we're doing. Maybe it's the wrong question because we know for sure that at the lowest measurable or understandable level of reality, when you get to the quantum level, it's basically magic. I mean, I talked right. to Brian Green, and he was trying to explain it to me. And again, too dumb for that conversation. I just did my best. But you get to these super states where things are moving, and they're also still. And they're you, existing two things. One thing is existing in two places at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then spooky action at a distance where somehow or another a particle in a long, far away place, far, far away place, has an interaction with a particle that's here. And vice versa. Like, yeah, they're entangled. Yeah. How? Who knows? They don't know, but they can kind of show it with mathematics. And right. They can try to show it with, 
these calculations. And CERN is doing some weird shit too, where oh, they're yeah. looking at this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you, you were talking before about how you had a guy coming who's dead set on belief in aliens and like yeah. they're here and all Christopher this, Mellon. all the shit yeah. that the Pentagon's releasing mm-hmm. and all of that. I uh, I, I talked to a guy because I'm hyper focused right now on diet and 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 stuff like that. But I I remember reading Carl Sagan and him talking about how he thought that our first um our first brush with extraterrestrials would be microorganisms. And I was talking to a guy who uh, is a professor at UCLA, Emron Emron Meyer, or Mayer, and he was talking about our gut biome, how there's there's more bacteria, individual organisms in our gut than there are stars in the galaxy. Really? Something astronomical like that, yes. And he said that these things act in an intelligent way and communicate with our brain in an intelligent way and that there's some kind of symbiosis there. And that to me sounds like fucking aliens living in us already. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, right? We're an ecosystem. Yeah, and it, and like if if we were to if if something external that had no idea what we were were to perceive us in terms of living organisms, we would be the last cuz we're a single living organism with hundreds of billions of other organisms inside of us and around us and contributing to us and working together. This is a wild thought. It is a wild thought and it seems like that that applies to every animal on earth. Yeah. And all life on Earth, essentially, right? Even plants have this crazy symbiotic relationship with fungus and with, with the nutrients that are in the ground. And, I mean, when you think about what a probiotic is, right? Like if you drink – I love kombucha. I drink a lot of kombucha. Yeah. It's, you're drinking a live organism. Yeah. And it's, like, healthy. So And it's fueling all the other live yeah. organisms inside of you. I, when I, I describe it as, like, you're, you got a little army – and you like put some healthy soldiers into your body with this with this kombucha. Yeah, like that's kind of what a probiotic is. With acidophilus, whatever you're taking, you're kind of like taking in some little soldiers, take care of a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's for jujitsu people, it's critical for avoiding uh, skin diseases. Right. You know, there's uh, one of the things that comes up in jujitsu all the time is scratches and staff. Staff. Yeah. Scratches Ringworm. lead. Yep. Yeah. And all those things can be at least somewhat mitigated with uh, acidophilus and with um, with uh, various probiotics and then healthy soaps. Like uh, you don't want to use a antibacterial soap. Because you kill the good guys too. Exactly. So there's actually a company called Defense Soap. And Defense Soap, shout out to my man Guy Sacco, who created Defense Soap. He created it for grapplers. And he created it for wrestlers and because a lot of these kids were getting sick and then they were using antibacterial soap. Like they would get, not sick, but they'd get little infections. And uh, so he came up with this defense soap, which is mostly healthy oils like tea tree oil and eucalyptus and all those things. They don't kill the bad bacteria, but they fight off, or they, they, rather they don't kill the good bacteria, but they fight off the bad bacteria right. and they keep the, the skin biome healthy. And so there's a bunch of products that they've developed that are based on this principle that you're dealing with the surface of your skin. It's a, it's an ecosystem, yeah, which is nuts. Like you're, you, you want to keep the soldiers happy. There's so many th- 
theories that you can run down too, like autoimmune disease and the and the rate of autoimmune in the in in countries like America versus really really third world countries, where it just basically doesn't exist. Now I think the life expectancy might be lower, so that's not a good trade off. But when you have stuff like your immune system and you're and you're clearing it of everything that it's learned to fight over however long we've been here. Yeah. And suddenly it has nothing to fight. It's going to find things to fight. And then, you, you know, I think that that's the same with bacteria and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know it's even kind of taboo in some circles to recommend eating vegetables. You know, I, I, I know uh, carnivores are not super into vegetables. But even the mitotoxins in vegetables is you're getting just enough of it that your body learns to fight it. You know, right. That's hormesis, right? Hormesis. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's the argument, unfortunately, that some uh, epidemiologists have made about our current situation in, in terms of like constantly sterilizing our hands and hand sanitizer and also not even being around people, that our immune systems are atrophying, yeah. which is scary. Because yeah. you think about how many people, my kid right now, my youngest daughter has a cold, an actual real cold. I haven't seen a fucking cold in forever. <laughs> When was the last time you saw a cold? A year and a half. We tested her for the Rona. She's already had it. and uh, this, She had Corona? Yes. Oh, wow. Which was nothing. This cold is way worse than Corona. Right. Like, she's coughing, running nose. She feels like shit, but she's just watching TV and chilling. Yeah. But it was crazy. It's like, oh, you got a cold. Huh. Forgot about those. Yeah. Like, kids always get colds. Yeah. And, you know, no colds. Right. Because, because no contact. Yeah, no contact. So we're not building up immunities. Right. Them. Yeah, I mean, it's critical for children. And, you know, you know, because you have kids as well, like those little fuckers are petri dishes. Yeah. They go to school and they come back with all kinds of stuff. And then yeah. you get it. And yeah. There's a huge period of time where kids' fingers are just dirty and sticky no matter what. You wash them all day long. They're just, they just appear dirty and sticky mm-hmm. again. Like they're running around licking their hands and touching the floor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's nature, right? When you see babies, they're always sticking things in their mouth and touching things and dirt. It's like nature's trying to get them to do that, yeah. I guess. I, I, I have a hard time uh, rationalizing some of this stuff when it becomes these absolutes of everybody must do this. And again, I go like, well, do we all have exactly the same values? I don't know that that's true. And if that's not true, then this sounds to me like a religious position that we're making. But I... Try to I try to understand these things, and I was speaking with um, a guy who studied epidemiology at UCLA, and he said uh, they had a large sign that w- was a constant reminder to them every day, and it just said "Everybody lies." And this, I think, what for, a fucking weird sign. I mean, this, but it's it's like the the idea is like because I was asking if somebody's had corona, why. Why are they pushing so hard for them to get vaccinated when the the amount of reinfection doesn't look to be any worse than breakthrough infection post-vaccination? So what what's the point there? And he, his point was, well, we in epidemiology, you learn that everybody lies. So your aunt who never got tested but had a bad cold back in March and is convinced she had corona, might not get the vaccine when she might not have had corona. Right. And so therefore, they're going forward with everybody must get the vaccination Mm. as this kind of... But 
I think it's interesting to think about that, like everybody lies. And, and I don't think they mean it necessarily even intentionally. Like They mean play it safe. Play it safe or even just like I'm counting calories, but I'm going to not measure my ketchup. Yeah. Are you really counting calories? <laughs> you know what I mean? Ketchup's got calories. A lot. It. Yeah. A lot of sugar. I'm, I'm counting calories, but I'm going to eat four pounds of broccoli today. That'll, at some point, that's going to add up. Yeah, it's amazing how much a handful of almonds. Yeah. handful of almonds, like 500 calories or something crazy. Dude, when I was keto, I would get bags of macadamia nuts at Trader Joe's and never look at the caloric value of them and eat them. Like, I could just eat this full of fat and it's so good. And then I'm not losing weight. Right. And I'm eating, you know, bacon for breakfast, like a package of bacon for breakfast, a steak for lunch, snacking on macadamia nuts all day and not losing weight and like fucking pulling my hair out because it didn't seem to be working at some point you can't eat more than your body needs or you're gonna hold on to weight like this is just the way that works if keto gets you to a place where you're gonna be able to not eat enough to lose weight that's great that's perfectly great but if you're eating fucking heavy whipping cream on everything, <laughs> this might not be the solution. Yeah, there's a there's no miracle when it comes to weight loss. That's a fact. And calories in versus calories out is real. Yeah. It's real. The difference between keto and other diets is once your body gets into that fat burning state, it becomes easier to eat less. There you go. But you still have to be disciplined because macadamia nuts still taste fucking good. Yeah. And then like a sicko like me, I'm reading all the keto recipes of like how to make bagels with pork rinds and and heavy whipping cream and and cream cheese. You know what I mean? And and convinced that this is going to work. But I'm I'm eating 5,000 calories a day in fat and not losing weight. The only thing that I did ever when I went on a diet to lose weight was that carnivore diet. But the reason why is because when you're not eating the pasta and the rice and all that stuff, like a salad or, or, or anything like that, the steak itself is enough. Like it does satisfy you. Yeah. But I could have definitely eaten other shit. Like, <laughs> like I said, a loaf of bread. If there was a loaf of bread, I would have chowed that too. Yeah. And that would have been additional calories that I really didn't need yeah. to be satisfied. But- if you're just eating steak, you get to the end of that 16 ounce ribeye, and you're like, "I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm good." You know, I don't. I'm not a full like a glutton like right. what I like to be, and but I am. Yeah, but you can get to this place where you know your body is in some, sort of a calorie deficit, yeah. and also not as much calories as I'm accustomed to eating because I do eat a lot of food. Yeah, I yeah. eat a lot of food too. I just I I've you know, um, the idea of maintenance, this was something that I never went into any diet thinking about. I never went into any diet thinking about like how, once I lose weight, how am I going to eat to keep it off? This was not a thought. The thought was always, my problem is I'm fat. Once I lose my weight, I will have solved my problem and all will be well. And then I arrive at, well, shit, now I'm gaining weight. So I'll just kind of uh, do this diet again sporadically. Um, I work my fucking ass off for a couple of years just on maintenance and not even when I was at my goal. Like, let me figure out what it is to eat because I trampled over all the physical signs of like satiation. Like, I don't know what it is to eat a meal and go like, I've had enough. I don't know what that is. I eat until I'm practically nauseous. Yeah, (laughs) that's how I eat. And I do it in private because I don't want people to watch me eat like that. 
Um, so to like, and and I hate these cringy words like mindfulness. This word makes me yes. sick to my stomach too. However, like if you if if I sit by myself and like actually look at what I'm eating and eat it with some sense of purpose, this has helped. It's it's unfortunate the hippy dippy shit has helped a little bit. Yeah, know? the hippy dippy shit is real. The problem is so many hippy dippy people are so fucking annoying. <laughs> right. They ruin these good hippy dippy phrases and words and ideas. Yeah. Yeah, mindfulness is a legit concept. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's been ruined because it, it's awful. Ruined. It's awful. Spirituality. Yeah. I'm spiritual. Yeah. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's my favorite one. I'm living my truth. Yeah. What the fuck are you saying? Yeah. Just don't let your truth fuck with my truth. <laughs> you have your own truth? Holy shit. Yeah. Um, when you said you were on a liquid diet, yeah. what it, how did you do that? I was doing a movie in Romania and um what was the movie? Cold Mountain 2002. And I had this brutal experience on a plane with a conversation with a guy who I think was very meant well, but I you know, honestly, he framed it all in terms of like uh his relationship with Christ and how my relationship with Christ was clearly lacking cuz I was a mess. And that was his value. He was concerned for me, was basically at the root of it, and expressing that concern. I think anytime somebody tells me or or has, uh, you know, I don't want to talk really about masks or anything like that, but this is also very much like we don't all have to share the same values, but I recognize that when somebody's telling me I need to live a certain way, this is just them imposing their values on me. Mm. This is not... Um, Anything more than that. And yeah. so I'm a little open and I go, okay, I understand where that's coming from. Uh, you know, I don't want to upset anybody. Um, he had this conversation with me on a plane. I landed and I started to think about like, what am I doing? Like, I, I just hadn't been thinking about it. What am I going to do with my life? What, uh, what do I want to do? Like, I, I have trouble going to the beach with my girlfriend at the time. She likes to go on hikes. I don't fucking go on. I'm not going on a hike. I don't even like walking around the block at that point. And uh, I called her up and it was the most bizarre feeling because I am objectively 550 pounds at this point. And I had to talk to her about wanting to change my weight and it felt as though I was telling her a secret. Like I, I felt like I was going to tell her something she didn't know. Like if you couldn't tell, I'm morbidly obese. Nothing could be more evident. And in this conversation, she was like, okay what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to lose weight. And she said, good. As soon as you get home, I'll have something ready for you. And when I landed, she picked me up and she had this whole liquid meal plan ready that was full of like fiber pills and vitamins and shakes. And that's what I ate for 60 days. And how much weight did you lose in 60 days? 80 pounds. That's incredible in and of itself. Yeah. Wow. And that weight I never put back on. So when you lost that did you decide at one point in time I can't do this anymore? Yeah. I mean, um, I was cold all the time and I would start cold. To, yeah, freezing cold all huh. the time, which I'm a really, I run really hot. Like I can sweat just standing up and, and this, I was like not quite shivering, but I was really cold. And what do they think that's from? I don't know. Just being malnourished. Oh. And, uh, when I would stand up, my vision would go dark. Uh, and then Whoa. come back. And I had a, I had a, like a, 
an eight week break from this movie and it was and I did it then, but I don't think I could be at work feeling like that. Mm, I understand. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't be able to concentrate. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy that you would you you would go dark when you got up. Yeah. Like all the way, no eyes open, but black, and then it would slowly come back. And I'd have to hold on to shit because I felt like I was going out. Wow. Yeah. So that has to be some sort of blood sugar thing, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I don't actually know, but probably. Sounds right. I don't know either. We just guessed. <laughs> like you, you, <laughs> You've been good. choked out. Yeah. I've been choked not, out. Not unconscious. Not totally unconscious. Really? No, I always tap. Okay. I didn't even know it was happening. It happened to me once, <laughs> and I thought, like, no, I can get out of this, and then I was just unconscious. But I remember my vision starting to go, yeah. and that's the sign I should have paid attention to. I, I flew in an FA-18 once with the Blue Angels, and I blacked out. Yeah. I made it all. See, the problem is I made it to way higher Gs, and I didn't black out, and then we were on one turn, and I just, uh, I'm like, I got this. And then I'm like, <laughs> just the blood goes somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, we were doing seven and a half Gs. Which is, uh, for those guys, is nothing. But for me, it was like, what the fuck? When you feel that pressure, it's crazy. We're, we're banking into a turn. I, I wish I could remember the gentleman who was flying, but he was a fucking stud. And these guys are all, like, super jacked. And one of the reasons why they're jacked is because they have to force blood into their brain while they're flying. Right. So as they're holding onto the thing, he's going like this. Hoot, 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 hoot. So you're oh forcing blood into your head as you're as you're banking, and we're like, Durr! and I could see it like an elevator door, like my consciousness closing in, and I'm fighting, and I'm going, hut, 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 hut. and they could get to like seven, ten, nine, you know, like they they go way higher than seven and a half. What I what I did, and um, I was fine with that. And then uh, as we were coming in, we did this other hard turn. We were only like at four and a half G's or something like that, and I'm. <laughs> Then I got up, threw up. Yeah, <laughs> it's like damn it. Yeah, I was almost home. This was every time I stood up doing a really? liquid diet. Yeah, vision black. <sighs> and then once you got back on food, did it all come back? Your heat and everything. Yes, that all came back. Uh, but I was on a very very low calorie diet when I started eating, and I ate that way for another few months. So I continued to lose weight far far more slowly. Um, but then even then. I was still doing like under a thousand calories a day, uh, but I was eating solid food. Have you ever heard of the story of the man who fasted for 365 days? And he, do you know this guy? I, I don't know him, but I, I have heard about him. He drank only water and took in vitamins, I think IV vitamins, I forget how they did it, but this guy lost an insane amount of weight. And the crazy thing is, his skin shrank. Yeah, that's, I mean, listen, I don't want to say um, that's something that's not really talked about enough amongst people who have massive weight loss. And, and I find that people um, who start to lose a lot of weight are suddenly confronted with this fact that they have billowing skin and it's shocking and very upsetting. And um, I think that guy's an outlier because I did read about him uh Mostly, people are going to have a lot of excess skin. the The thought was that maybe because the fact the guy was ketogenic for the entire three hundred sixty five days a year and his body was consuming fat, that it also consumed skin as well. I don't think that's scientifically possible. But do you know of any other outliers that lost a shit ton of weight and didn't have any loose skin? No, I don't know of anybody. Yeah, that's what's weird, right? Yeah. 
And so, I and I was ketogenic for hundreds of pounds mm. of weight loss and still had loose skin. Yeah, and then I got skin surgery and then gained weight again. Mm. Like I've done every awful thing you could do with weight loss. I think it's more than even ketogenic because this guy's body was literally living off itself. It's right. not like he was taking in macadamia nuts or whatever. He's living off his own tissue. And yeah. I wonder if that was the catalyst. I just don't think skin is bioavailable in that way. Mm. Like, but muscle is. Muscle is and fat is, but I don't think you can... I, th I don't think you can disintegrate, like, consume your skin in that way. Mm. Uh, from what I've read, skin as an organ is elastic, and when you fill it up, it's built to be stretched. But if you keep it filled up for too long, it and it can't stretch from that point, it then goes like, oh, shit, we have a new settling point. Mm. We're going to now grow to this size. And so that we can be elastic again. Because your body, unfortunately, will always store fat. Your body wants to store fat. You know, your body understands famine and it understands when there's excess, you store it if you can. Like, you, you want to do that, you know. Yeah, your body's not concerned with being thin and looking good. Your no, body wants to stay alive. No, it doesn't alive. give a fuck. And, yeah. and being fat will save you if there's a famine. And it takes a hell of a lot longer to kill you than starving. You can starve to death pretty quick isn't that crazy that your body lives in the same space as your brain your brain wants you to look good right but your body's like shut the fuck up and make me fat yeah this what? food's gonna go away yeah the, the the five days worth of food you can get at the gas station for two bucks that's gonna go away it's gonna disappear you're gonna starve eat it all store the fat you'll be safe what a weird battle yeah your brain and your body play with each other it really is strange it's fucked and then if you want to lose weight and retain muscle mass, you got to convince your body that you're doing shit with it to survive. So yeah. you got to lift heavy things so that your body doesn't consume your muscles. Those are like the key things to if you want to lose weight because muscle requires energy. It requires food. So you can eat a little bit more if you have a little bit more muscle. Yeah. This is the benefit of having muscles. Yeah. And the... What it takes to gain muscle, most people don't understand. They think you Fucking lift weights, hard. you gain muscle. Like, no, no, no. You have to lift weights, and then you have to tell your body, hey, motherfucker, we're going to do this all the time. Yeah. You better grow. And it's going to get heavier. And it's going to suck. Yeah. You have to feel like, oh, you have to like, oh, where you're stretching and everything's sore. And that is the only way your body's like, okay, this asshole's just going to pick up heavy things every fucking day. We, we need more resources. <laughs> we need more tissue. Yeah, need, that's it. And then your appetite kicks in. Yeah. yeah, and then you're eating more. Oh, yeah. When I lift weights, especially heavy, I am so fucking hungry. Yeah. Because your body's like, hey, bitch, time to grow. You going to make me do this? Yeah. Why are we carrying things? Don't, don't, isn't this a new world? We have machines to carry right. things? You're, Why are you You should be things? playing video games. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Why are you farmer walking with two 72-pound kettlebells, you piece yeah. of shit? And didn't you know at the guy maybe you have an electric car, but at the gas station, yeah. you can get all the food you need for the month and it won't go bad for twenty bucks. Oh, what is happening to that stuff inside your body? It's fermenting, Ugh. it's turning to formaldehyde. Ugh. I avoid that stuff as often as possible, but every time I do eat processed food, my body's like, What is this nonsense? Yeah. I have a weird thing where I can eat sugar if I'm in the gym. Like, if I'm in the gym oh, yeah. lifting weights and I have a Gatorade, I feel fucking awesome. I feel oh, like yeah. Superman. Yeah. If I have a Gatorade late at night or a bowl of ice cream, I wake up hungover and feel like, 
like I'm dying. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, when I eat ice cream and then go to bed, I will have this horrible feeling in the middle of the night where my stomach's like, yeah. yeah, and I almost have a headache. Yeah. You know, like it's just your body doesn't want it. But a hard weightlifting session and then a Snickers bar, like you feel fuck, pretty fucking good because you can use it. Yeah. You actually can use it. When I was riding bikes a lot, some of the old pros would say, like, and I'd have like, you know, non-GMO fucking health bars and, and electrolytes without sugar and all this stuff. And we get to the top of the hill and they'd have a Snickers and a Coke. And they would literally say like, this is the perfect, perfect meal for yeah. right now. Yeah, that's what Floyd Mayweather uses. After he works out, he drinks Coke. Yeah. Which is crazy. And his body, it's like rocket fuel. Mm -hmm. It's high octane. I don't actually know how gas works, but it's something that sounds like high octane is for a fast car. I know it's it's a thing that trainers actually recommend, which is nuts. They'll tell you, yeah, a sugary soft drink is actually very good after a workout. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, this is the... This is the the idea that food is fuel, right? Mm -hmm. That that we are actually. Could you imagine if uh, every night the the leftover gas in your car would make your car heavier, and you'd still need to put gas in the next day? Like you would start to fucking figure out exactly how much gas you needed. Yeah, we don't do that. Right, right. You'd be like, well, "This fucking stupid car is so fat." Yeah, I can't. I it's would like slow. to drive to your house, mom, but my car's fat. <laughs> right, it's slow. <laughs> It'll never I've make been it. <laughs> over gassing it for years. It's got clogged fucking hoses. Those wheels hurt. Yeah, it's just miserable. <laughs> it's riding low. They're all fucking half deflated. Yeah, treating your body like a machine. Like I always call my body my meat vehicle. Yeah, but like treating it like a machine is so difficult because. It's interconnected with all these feelings and pangs, hunger pangs, and there's so much going on, emotions. And, and in America, we celebrate everything with food. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. every holiday is about food. Mm -hmm. I get so over it at Thanksgiving. Like, we're going to do this again. Like, And then Christmas is just a string of events where we're eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the turkey industry celebrates Thanksgiving. The turkey industry and then the pumpkin industry is really pumped about October. Yeah. And Halloween rolls around. Like, who the fuck else would be buying pumpkins? Yeah. You know, if, if there wasn't for Halloween, how many pumpkins would we sell in this country? Three. Three pumpkins? Pumpkin pie, I guess, actually. Pumpkin pie is pretty good. Pretty goddamn good. But uh, you don't want to eat it all the time. I mean, I don't. Uh, if it's right there, some whipped it. cream. Yeah. Pumpkin pie is pretty fucking good. Lots of whipped cream. I changed cream. my mind. <laughs> fucking, I'm back we need on the more pumpkin. pumpkins. But, like, have you ever had baked pumpkin? No. It's pretty good. I've had baked squash. It can't be much different. Yeah. I like spaghetti squash. Yeah. Delicious. Spaghetti spot. Spaghetti squash. Why can I say that? Spaghetti squash with marinara sauce is almost as good as pasta. Yeah. Sometimes better. Have you ever had these kelp noodles? No. There are kelp noodles nowadays. And uh, one of my kids was eating them and, and I was just like, this is stupid. Kelp noodles are stupid. <laughs> but then I tried them and I... Couldn't I mean they're not exactly the same. There's a little bit more of a crunch, so you imagine if it's like super al dente pasta. Mm -hmm. But they're fucking good. You put some tomato sauce on them. Really, it's pretty good. Yeah, I've had hemp hemp pasta. Okay, I like hemp pasta. Is that lower in calories? Good. I don't know. I think it has protein though. Right, that's the thing about hemp. There used to be uh, there's a protein spaghetti that I used to buy, but oh my god, the farts. Yeah, they were out of this world. They're like, yeah. "What is happening in my body?" But it might have been. I I would eat this protein pasta with marinara sauce with tuna, 
and this was when I was a young single man. Yeah. I would uh, boil the pasta, and then I would take the sauce and dump a can of tuna into the sauce, stir it up, pour it on together, and then just thank God I was alone. Right. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's a ton of protein. Yeah. Oh, a ton of protein. But yeah, I don't think my body enjoyed it. And I don't know if it was the pasta or the combination of the pasta with the sauce and the the and the um, tuna as well, but all together. When I upped my protein, I, I I started like paying attention to how much protein I got every day, and I actually had to increase my protein. If um if I would fuck up and miss a meal and wind up with like I got a hundred grams of protein left towards the end of the day, and I'd eat it all at once, which is a fucking shitload of protein to consume at one time, the gas. Everybody in my house would be furious with me. <laughs> I mean, like, really fucking awful. So that, you know, and I have uh, my coach, Jared Feather, again, amazing guy. He would program me and he would say, no, like, you eat 25 grams in this meal and 50 grams in this meal and, and spread it out throughout the day. And I'd go like, yeah, okay, but if I get to the end of the day and I've only eaten one meal, I'll just eat everything then because I kind of like just fucking eating till I'm stuffed. And he'd go, that's a bad idea for a number of reasons. I'd go, okay, but like, does it really matter? And then the gas actually got me to spread it out, <laughs> which is beneficial. Have you ever heard of the warrior diet? That's when people eat one meal a day? Yes. Yeah. If I was going to try to cram... 250 to 270 grams of protein into one meal a day it would be a disaster yeah it would be a fucking disaster I, th I think that goes to the biodiversity thing like some people can do it yeah some people like it that way I've, i know quite a few people that eat one s strong meal a day yeah mark sisson wasn't he saying that wasn't mark saying he eats one meal a day often yeah, he's the guy that uh, wrote that book, The uh, Primal Blueprint. Yeah. And he had all sorts of arthritis and all sorts of issues with um, his joints and cut out, for him, I mean, this is like his thing, he cut out all bread, all pasta, all grains, and just started eating completely unprocessed food. Eats a lot of grass-fed steak, eats a lot of uh, just vegetables, and it all went away. Right. And then he feels infinitely better. And wrote this book about how you know how to cook and how to uh, eat with completely unprocessed food. But he now, but he's in his sixties, very fit. He's my canary in a coal mine. Yeah. When I see a dude in his sixties, it gets after as much as that guy does. But uh, you know, he exercises, but he doesn't kill himself. But he looks great. He's got a, like a full six pack. Like as far as like an older guy, he looks amazing. And I'm pretty sure he only eats once a day for the most part. Right. Occasionally he'll have a light breakfast or something like that. But he's got his body kind of dialed in to where he needs it and what what to eat. Um, most of my friends though that are athletes, particularly fighters, they eat all throughout the day. Yeah. They eat multiple. They, a lot of them carry around those little Tupperware containers and they'll eat you know multiple meals. A I day. take that to work. I don't fuck with food at work craft anymore. Craft service. Yeah. yeah. I don't fuck craft with service it. can get it's you, deadly, man. Dude. It's deadly. You start grazing. Yeah. I see people just walking by that craft service like, hmm, what do we got here? Bagel? Yeah. Mm, M&M's? Mm. And then they like serve a weird meal. They come around with sandwiches halfway through the morning mm -hmm. and there's still the table over there. It's it's psychotic how much. And, 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 and in fairness, like a grip or an electrician who's picking up heavy things all day, I understand that guy needs to eat throughout the day, but yeah. like I, who am a fucking dumb actor, who yeah. mostly just standing around saying words, right? Like it's not it's not physically demanding, right? 
it's like a luxury thing though. They want you to feel like you're catered to, like right. as if you went to a resort yeah. and they walk by, would you like some ice cream? Like, yeah. yes I would, I'm on vacation. Anything you can think of, we have it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's um, those habits that people develop at work, like I knew a lot of people that uh, would act and they would be on sets and they would gain weight, like every time they would be on a set. Because they just would, that craft service pay, play, state, the table, the setup, especially if it's a good craft service one with the bagels and the locks and fucking hard to avoid, man. Yeah. Especially in the morning when you're tired. When I'm tired, I have fucking zero willpower. Yeah. When I'm tired, like when I come home and I'm hungry, I'm tired. It's like fast food, whatever. There's like, it's been proven, I believe, that your body reacts differently to cravings when you're tired. You make poor choices. Yeah, this is this is a this is one of the habits that I've worked on really hard at changing is like I don't do anything hungry and I don't let mm. I, I don't go to the grocery store hungry. Ooh, I don't start a, cooking that's a hungry. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I start cooking my dinner and I'm starving, my my pour of the olive oil is heavier. You know right. what I mean? My yeah. my portioning of the of the rice, I'm smashing it into that cup to make sure the cup has really two cups in it. Like right. just accidentally yeah what kind of exercise are you doing these days i just lift weights just weights that's it yeah, yeah. every uh six days a week and and for cardio it's mostly walking around i take my dogs on a walk i get on an elliptical machine but i'm never doing like hit type stuff i like ellipticals for you could pretend you're working out like you're you're working out but you can watch tv yeah because like you just kind of can get into a movie and but next thing you know, you're like, oh, I'm fucking 150 beats a minute. Like, yeah. me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting after it. Yeah. My I, heart rate spiked. I can do an elliptical for a long time, and it doesn't, it doesn't have. It's like, I don't want my heart rate too high. So if I'm trying to keep it steady, that's a great thing to do. Why do you want your heart rate low? I just don't want to tap into any. I don't want to like for the time being. If I'm, like. When, when I was just hyper-focused on I want to lose weight, I just want to get small, then I, was, I had a lot more cardio in my, in my routine. And right now, I want to preserve every single gram of muscle I have. I don't want to give it up. So, and since I've been basically in some kind of caloric deficit for so long, if I work too hard or if the deficit slips too much, it's going to tap into, it's going to use some lean tissue too. So you're just into getting jacked right now. That's it. I just want abs, <laughs> dude. I didn't. I got to 200 pounds. I was. I was uh, doing eight hours of cardio a day on a bike, and I didn't have abs, and it was really fucking disappointing. <laughs> now, all of that said, I have loose skin, so it's like you see those big muscle guys in loose shirts, and they don't. They just. Still, that's still what I got because I got loose skin hangover. But down lighting. You get all the right things. I, you can see it. You can see abs, which is nice. <laughs> Are you doing a lot of abdominal exercises? None. None. Almost none. How come? I just, I just not. I feel like I get them with bench press and squats. They're all kind of activated. I do a little bit, but I'm not hyper focused on hmm. doing abs. I'm also not building muscle right now. Um, I think. I mean, you can get abs just by being lean. Yeah. You will look good. Yeah. By being lean. But if you want like thick, boom, boom. Like distended, thick, yeah. Big muscles. You got to you know? do it. Yeah. yeah. I also, for, I do it because it protects everything too. It protects my spine. It protects, 
you know, like, like uh, your super core focus. Yeah, really, because everything I do, whether it's kickboxing or jujitsu, it's very core focused. Yeah. So like, uh, it, it makes a big difference to have a strong back and strong abs. So I do a lot of um, reverse hyper. I use that machine a lot. I do sit ups on that uh, that you know that thing. What's it called? The glute ham ghb yeah i know what you're talking about it looks like a a really extended sit-up right yeah 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 it's that's exactly i do a lot of those and i do back extensions on those too and so i do that's all you know so i'm working my my lower back with a reverse hyper i'm working it again with the back extensions i'm doing my abs with that and then i have you ever seen an ab mat you know what those are rogue makes it uh, Rogue Fitness, I love it. It's crazy, this little hump. It's not high. It's this little hump. But it makes such a difference in like a sit-up. Because if your back is flat on the ground, it's so much easier to sit up than it is with just this little hump. Right. It's so strange. Yeah. Like you would think, like, what is this little bitch-ass hump? That, that doesn't matter. But it does. That thing right there. Oh, that's wow. what I have. That little hump, when you go down, first of all, it protects your butt and keeps you from getting torn up on the floor. But that thing right there, the ab mat, I fucking love that thing. I like the crack there, too. That's convenient. Yep. Yeah, where your legs and your uh, your old saccharoni can sort of nestle itself in the middle there. But when you use that for sit-ups, it makes the sit-ups more demanding. And then um, I do uh, these other sit-ups with kettlebells. I forget what they're called. Uh, There's a name like for it. Like where it's on your chest? No. No, I put my feet in two sit up in two uh, kettlebells, so I'll take like two fifties and I'll I'll hang them over my toes, and then I'll take two other fifties and I'll sit back and I'll sit up with the with the kettlebells. So I'll force myself to like press these kettlebells, and then I'm raising it up. So it's a strong abdominal exercise that you really can only do like ten reps or so in. Right. Yeah, it's just really good for developing all that muscle. And then I do, I love Turkish get-ups too. Yeah. Because Turkish get-ups works the whole core. Yeah, those are gnarly. I did I did read an article once um, years ago when I was super cardio-focused that said that this like overweight power lifter really wanted abs. And the way he got them is he did this kettlebell thing where he did a thousand swings a day for 10 days. And I did that, and I didn't get abs. And I was like, "Fucking, I'm over it. This is bullshit." <laughs> how was he doing it? How how did he get a thousand swings a day for ten days, and that gave him abs? I don't know because that's not the way it works. But this was back in the day where I wasn't really paying attention to like how stuff actually worked. I mean, it does engage. It doesn't. It, it engages your abs for sure. Yeah. But I would imagine it's more like your Hamstrings, lower back dude. and your hams. And your... I couldn't sit on a toilet on day three. <laughs> I was. It was awful. Hamstrings. Yeah. Really, there was all hamstrings. I mean, that was the thing that fired the most for me was oh. hamstrings. And by the tenth day, they were okay again. But day three and four, I wasn't sitting down. It was really painful. When I realized how weak my hamstrings are, was when I got this device called a monkey feet. You know what monkey feet is? No. It's a thing you strap onto your foot and you put a dumbbell in it. So it like like your like your foot is grabbing, and then I'll do like leg curls, like I would do arm curls with my my legs. Oh, fuck. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm so weak. Like I thought my legs were strong as fuck. Yeah. But like doing curls with my legs, doing that, it's very weak. But it also allows you to do things for your hip flexors, so you could lift like knee raises. Yeah. While holding on to like a 35 pound dumbbell, 
with this thing at the bottom of your foot. And some guys work up to 45 pounds, 55 pounds, and you could do all, you could really build the muscle tissue in your hamstrings and your hip flexors in a way that you kind of can do with what by holding something in your arm. Yeah. I do mostly um, straight leg deadlifts for hamstrings. Those are good too. Yeah. But again, I thought it was a lot stronger. I thought my hamstrings were a lot stronger than they were. And in jiu-jitsu, hamstrings really come into play because you want to squeeze someone and hold them in place. And you sort of develop that strength just from grappling, but you certainly can enhance it with lifting weights with your hamstrings. But I think the best way I've found is with these monkey feet things because- It forces it to act as an individual unit. It forces it to balance the weight and maneuver it, and I think it gets all those stabilizing muscles. I was uh, I trained with Eddie Bravo a long time ago, and um, I have gigantic legs, very, very strong legs, as you know somebody who carried around 550 pounds would have. And... Uh, and I th- and I and I would go around to other places whenever I'd travel. I'd find somebody and go do a private somewhere. And I was like, I'm gonna throw a fucking lockdown on Marcelo Garcia and see if my <laughs> legs are really strong. They weren't shit. Nothing. They did nothing. He was like, Oh, that hook. That's interesting. And just fucking <laughs> came but right out. You're talking about the master. I know. I mean, Marcelo. Garcia. I didn't think I was gonna actually do anything beyond that. I just thought I could throw the lockdown on him and hold him in place and show him like this is what real strong legs are because he's got pretty good calves too. Oh my god, yeah. that's a big part of Marcelo's game is his control with his legs. Yeah, and his arms are not big; no. they're very small. And that's his one of the reasons why they're very big. But that's all genetic, right? And that's one of the reasons why Marcelo always avoids what he calls strongman moves. Right, like Marcelo never uses kimuras. Because he feels like Kimura's are a strongman move, which right. is really interesting. But a lot of guys who even like Gabe Tuttle, who's the head uh, coach at uh, 10th Planet in Austin, he uses Kimura's, and he's a small guy, but he likes Kimura's to set up other things. Right. So he uses Kimura's because when you have to defend Kimura's, then it sets up back attacks, it sets up arm, arm bars and triangles. There's different things that happen. So as you clamp onto that Kimura and pull it, the guy has to react, and then you use that because it's a very predictable action, right? If you have a hold of a person's arm and you're threatening with a Kimura, there's not a whole lot of things they have to do, or they can do, rather. You know, So you got this thing and you're yanking it back like that. Like They kind of have to do this. Right. So as you anticipate that, then you transition to a triangle or you transition to something else or take the back. Like There's a whole series. I think David Avalon has a whole series of uh, Kimura traps and how the, you know, they call it a you know, Kimura trap. Yeah. It's, you're setting up. You're using this attack, and you can finish with that attack if you get it, but you're setting up a bunch of other stuff. Right. But Marcelo didn't even fuck with it. He's like, I'm just strangling bitches. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to hold them with my legs and strangle them. Yeah, just gonna, his, his arm bars are great. Everything is great for sure, but man, he would get your back. Marcelo got the back. I remember I was in Brazil in 2003, and I saw him uh, put Shaolin to sleep. He arm-dragged, and no one knew who Marcelo was at the time, but he arm-dragged him and then took the back, and the two of them were rolling. They're spinning on the mat, and by the time the spin was done, Shaolin was unconscious. It was wild. That's awesome. And it was quick. See if you could find that. He was Marcelo Garcia versus Shaolin, 2003 Abu Dhabi, and I remember being, I was right there, man. I was in the stands like 20 yards away watching him do this. Yeah. Whoa. Watch this. So they're they're tying up. Look at this. Arm drag, arm drag, take the back and spin, 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 spin. And by the time he gets to here, done. He's out fucking cold. 
They're, he's trying to resist as much as he can. So they're still spinning. And then by the time, look at those fucking legs he has. He's out cold. That's awesome. And Shaolin is a world class black belt. And this and was when this is this what made Marcelo Mar Garcia yes. Marcelo Garcia. Yes. Yeah, this was when the world first found Marcelo Garcia. Shaolin was already a known black belt. But to show that again, because the way he did it by this arm drag. So they're tying up, and this is early in the match too, man. Look at this. He pull. He pull, kind of pulls guard, uses his legs to upset the balance, and then holds him in place with his legs as he spins and takes the back. And then Shaolin is defending the best he can, but Marcelo just, again, not big arms, no. but perfect technique. But look at how big his chin. legs are compared to the rest Enormous. of his body. Enormous. And he used those legs. He used those legs to transition. He uses those legs to enter into techniques, and he uses those legs as control when he gets a hold of a guy. And by the way, couldn't be a nicer human being. Yeah. He's like one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. He's so friendly and smiling. You would never imagine. He's a savage. Like if there was him and like a couple other fucking Jack Buff dudes, he'd be like, which one of these guys is the biggest killer? You'd be like, oh, that guy with the fucking big <laughs> shoulders. And like, no, no, no. This guy, this mousy looking fella, who's always smiling. Yeah. He'll fucking kill everybody in this and room. And he has pants on, so you can't even see that he's got <laughs> fucking lethal weapon legs. They're just like they're like Herschel Walker's legs in a five foot six guy. Yeah. Like it doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. And he, man, watching him in Abu Dhabi, I've seen him several times compete. Watching him live is something special because it's just like the, the transition is so smooth. His attack is so smooth and it's so technique based. And he has just a few techniques that he hits over and over and over and over and over again. And like everybody knew he wanted your back. Everybody knew he wants your back. Good luck stopping it. Right. You know, it just he could get to that back so quickly. I can't believe he did that in that that melee. I know. That, that's incredible. Wild scramble. Yeah. I mean, we were all like, "Whoa, who is this guy?" And we we knew that he was from uh, Fabio Gurgel's uh, school. Fabio Gurgel is a very famous Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a real legend, early early pioneer. You know, so everybody knew he was well instructed, but. Just like, why didn't we know about this guy? Like, we're, how come out of nowhere he's strangling everybody and he wins Abu Dhabi? It was wild. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu is just so amazing. It's such a, it's the one martial art where it does what a martial art's supposed to do. What a martial art's supposed to be is that a smaller man with good technique can beat a larger man. And that kind of can work in other martial arts, but man, that smaller guy's got to be so much better. Yeah. Like in striking... The smaller man has to be so much better. Like, Logan Paul is going to fight Floyd Mayweather. Logan Paul a is bigger. a big guy. He's like, what is he, like 6'2"-ish, somewhere around that range, 200 pounds, lean, fucking strapping kid. Floyd is, at his best, he was 147, 154. That he's was, a tiny guy. He's not a big guy. He's small hands. But everyone's betting on Floyd, even though right. he's literally 50 pounds lighter than this guy. Because he's so much better. Is there a puncher's chance in that situation? Yes. It's a low percentage. Like, you wouldn't want to bet it. Right. You might want to bet it for a goof. Yeah. But, I mean, I would imagine. Let, let me guess what the odds are. Is it a professional fight? No. I believe they're calling it an exhibition. Look, come on. Logan Paul's fucking thick. I met the dude in person. I met him at um, uh, in Hawaii. 
It was right after he had that uh, boxing match with KSI. He was uh, vacationing at the same place I was with my family, and all of a sudden I get this tap on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, what's up, dude? He is Big not kid. the same guy that just No, that's fought. his brother Jake. Okay. Jake is uh, allegedly the more talented boxer. He certainly has preposterous knockout power. He can knock motherfuckers out. You can't sleep on that guy just because he's a YouTube star and he talks a lot of shit, but they, uh, they're training together there. But Logan is uh, the guy who's fighting Floyd, and Floyd is considerably smaller than him. And I would imagine the odds, I'm going to say 20 to 1. Right. Say that 20, he wins. That, that the Floyd wins. wins. No, right. Floyd. That Floyd Mayweather 20 wins. 20 to 1. That, that Floyd wins. Right. Yeah, you would, Floyd is the favorite. Yes, in yes, a yes. Big, 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 big way. Oh, 20 to 1 against. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Is that right? See, motherfucker, I know my shit. I'm a professional. Yeah, not really. Um, But you know a a lot about this kind of thing. I know about that kind of thing. I know about like, hmm, it might happen. Weird (laughs) shit can happen. Yeah. So if I was uh, for a goof, I want to bet fifty bucks. I might put fifty bucks on the kid. I I, I'm not such a boxing fan. I I really think you had had it right. Twenty to one actually for Floyd to win. So you have to bet two thousand to win a hundred. Yeah. Wow. uh, It's nine to one for Logan to win. Yeah. So you bet. Oh, that's interesting. Ten dollars. So win nine to one for Logan to win, but twenty to one for Floyd to win. Hundred pays nine hundred, but if you want to win a hundred on Floyd, you got to bet two thousand. Okay, so they're making it difficult. Yeah. Yes. They're well, gonna make somebody's gonna make a lot of money. Yeah, it's a yeah. If you want to bet a million bucks, yeah, you'll make some money, but you right. might sweat it. I, thing, no, but I think the odds makers are making money with, yeah. with that yeah, differential, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an, Joey Diaz always says, I never met a bookie with a part-time job. Right. The uh, the thing that could happen, and this is very unlikely to happen, but what could happen is if Logan holds him and hits him and hurts him. So if there's a moment in an exchange where Logan, who is a very good wrestler, I mean a very good wrestler, we saw him wrestle Paulo Costa, who's a UFC middleweight contender, and you watched the scrambles. Like, he was controlling Costa, and they scrambled. He was keeping up with Costa. But you watched him move, and you're like, man, this kid can fucking wrestle. And Floyd is not like this one-punch, obliterating knockout power puncher. And then he's also 50 pounds lighter. So the, the weirdness, what's the weirdest thing that can happen? Is Logan could somehow or another tie him up and clip him. Like, really hard, because he's a big guy. If I was his coach, I'd be like, listen, motherfucker, you are not outboxing the greatest boxer of all time. What we're going to do is we're going to cover up, we're going to cheat, we're going to maul this guy. shoulders. Yeah, we're going to maul him, we're going to push him around. I want you to hold him, and I would say, plant your feet and push him over your knee. You might twist his ankle and fuck his knee up, and we're going to mug him in the clinch. That's the thing. Cover up and mug him in the clinch. Because he's just going to pop you with the jab. Keep moving. Throw a punch, but don't throw a punch like you've been trying to hit him. Just get close. When he's throwing a punch at you, close the distance. Actually, close the distance and tie him up. And just fucking try to wail him in the clinch. Because that's the only time you're going to hit him. I'm now nervous for... I'm nervous for Mayweather. <laughs> like Now I'm scared. Now I want to bet Logan. I would n- never train... Uh, a, a guy like him, if I was a trainer, I would never train a guy like him to try to box with Floyd. I'm like, you are not going to be on the outside right. trying to outmaneuver literally the slickest boxer that's ever walked the face of the earth. Do you get broken up if you get an underhook? It depends on the referee. 
that's the thing. Like some referees say, fight, fight through it, fight through it, and it really depends on whatever rules they develop specifically for this one sort of understanding. Like I know there was like some specific understandings for the Conor McGregor fight when Conor fought Floyd. Like if he did anything that was like MMA related, like if he tried to take him down or kick him or something like that, I think he would lose like all his money or be fined a million dollars. I went to that fight. Did you? And I was, I was like, <laughs> I was waiting for a leg kick. Mm. I was thinking like, you're going to get pissed off and like body slam the guy. He could have if he wanted to, but I think he had an opportunity to win a hundred million dollars. Right, and that's what he got. And he risked everything. He made a hundred like million dollars in that fight, which is so crazy. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's fucking insane. He's, I mean, it, that fight made Conor McGregor so fucking rich, and um, he did catch Floyd. That's what's crazy. When he clipped him with that uppercut in the first round, yeah, Floyd was like, "Oh shit!" Like this guy can strike. Yeah, but Conor's used to. Like being a sniper and using all his other school, all his other tools like kicks and you know, kicking the legs and jabbing the body with that front kick that he likes to throw. For him to just use his hands only, he could kind of get things off until Floyd figures out his timing. And then once Floyd figured out the timing, then Floyd was just not there when those punches landed. And then Connor's punches became more and more labored, and Floyd just dragged him into the later rounds and started fucking him up. Do you think that's like the worst thing that can happen for a fighter, like a fighter like Connor, who I, I remember watching a video on him before he maybe his first UFC fight when they followed him around Ireland. He was he he did not have much money at all. Poor kid, training, hungry. To go from that to making $100 million in a boxing match where if as long as he doesn't kick the guy, he makes a fortune right? is maybe the worst thing. I mean, for a guy who still seems like at times like he wants to fight for that, for that sport, for mixed martial arts, having so much seems to be working against him. No? It's It can it can. There's no absolutes. Right. You know, here's the thing you have to think. Floyd Mayweather fucked him up with like a half a billion in the bank. Right. Think about that. Yeah. Because Floyd Mayweather, when they did fight, Floyd Mayweather was rich as fuck. Yeah. And still beat his ass. Um, way richer than Connor. Than Connor became after the fight. Yeah. It's not an absolute thing. Some people, like Michael Jordan, famously, didn't. It didn't matter if he was rich. He wanted to win. Right, at anything. Yeah. Some people are just winners. They Playing just, war yeah. with a deck of cards. He's He wants to win. Yeah. You beat him in pool. He won't talk to you for two weeks. Right. That was that was Michael Jordan. And there's guys like that in everything. And there's guys, and I think Floyd is like that in boxing. Some guys do, while, while saying that, while acknowledging that, some guys do get soft, though. Most guys get soft. Like I don't remember who this who said it who the quote was, but it's hard to be a savage when you're sleeping on silk sheets. Right. Yeah. I think I think about it, and I only bring it up because um, it hasn't happened for me because I keep readjusting goals. And sorry to bring it back to diet again. It's, I'm hyper no, concentrating on diet, but um, I, I I do know that time after time, if my goal was just I want to lose a hundred pounds, when I lose the hundred pounds, and I go, well, I did that the motivation or the hunger 
to keep it off. It could have just been that my goal wasn't to lose 100 pounds and keep it off for five years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever, or lose 100 pounds for life. My goals were literally just, I'm going to do this diet for four months. And so I think about like a guy, I mean, I have no idea what Connor's goals are, but like a guy like that who goes like, I'm going to make $100 million. Once you make $100 million, you got to set new fucking goals because he's not fighting the same way that he was at least in UFC prior to that. Well, yes and no, because he was fighting the same way when he fought Cowboy Cerrone. When he okay. fucked Cowboy up, he was rich as shit. You have yeah. to realize he had $100 million in the bank and he knocked Cowboy's block off. That's true. It's um, it That fight, it's hard to judge him based on the Dustin Poirier fight because most people tend to look at the end result. You tend to look at how it went down and how the fight ended. And if you look at how the fight ended, you go, oh, Connor Soft. But when I look at it as an analyst, I look at it from the beginning to the end. And one of the best ways to look at it is uh, my brother Daniel Cormier has a thing on ESPN called Detail about that fight. And he shows the first fight and he shows the second fight. And he shows the adjustments that Dustin Poirier made. And then he shows... The difference between the way Connor fought the first fight and Connor fought the second fight. And one of the things is Dustin started kicking the low calf instead of the thigh. In the first fight, he kicked the thigh. It's way easier to absorb a few hard kicks to the thigh than it is a few hard kicks to the calf. The calf, it becomes debilitating almost immediately. Right. One or two good shins slamming into your calf. There's just not enough meat there. There's a thing called compartment syndrome that happens where uh, your blood pools up in the leg. And there's a guy, you want to get grossed out? There's a guy named Austin Hubbard who fought in the UFC. Google compartment syndrome Austin Hubbard. He had a fight in the UFC and he got his legs kicked to high heaven. And afterwards they swelled up so bad they had to split his leg oh like a banana. They had to, to open up. It? Yeah, look at that. Holy fuck. Fuck. Holy fuck. So Austin has this enormous uh, scar leading down his leg, but that's what they had to do with his leg. So they had to open up. His leg was enormous. And they couldn't swollen. sew it up, so they have a wound vac sucking the liquid away. Exactly. Exactly. And it was fucking rough, man. Like, really rough. And they see him. Go to that picture that you got your cursor on. See? That's, that's what his leg looked like. So he's sitting there. In the hospital, after the fight, his one leg is... And Austin fights at 155 pounds, I'm pretty sure. And it says welterweight, Austin Hubbard. Yeah, his name has 155 in it. Oh, I think he's fighting welterweight. And, well, he's, he's fought both, I believe. That's what's going on. But uh, his leg was twice the size of his other leg, just, just from swelling and tissue damage. And when you get that compartment syndrome, they have to alleviate the... Look at that one picture. Go back. To where you were look at that picture in the middle with oh, the, the two legs not, split them to, no. i know but look Oof. at that that's an example of compartment syndrome so they have to open you up and figure out a way to drain all that shit. so see that that's in the calf and the compartment syndrome in the calf is uh it happens even more often for whatever reason i spent a lot of time with a wound vac yeah i have a disgusting story i don't have pictures to show you um not that i would show them if I had the pictures, but I uh, had loose skin removed in 2008 or maybe 2007. Anyway, somewhere around there. And 
they tell you like you you can't move for a while you got to sit around i had a full cut all the way around 11 pounds of skin <sighs> yeah think and, of 11 pounds of brisket yeah it's a fucking big brisket dude and this was just flat like oh. it puts the lotion in the basket skin do you, you have photos make... of the skin i don't not accessible right now if i do they're on a, a disc somewhere I, th I i did i did i i actually um I don't know uh, why I want to see it. <laughs> I, I, I will send you pictures. Let's let's Google skin uh, yeah, yeah, removal yeah. operation. If you want to get really gross, and I don't talk about this much because it seems to put people off, but when I was going to have the skin surgery, I told the doctor that I wanted to tan the skin and make trinkets for my friends. <laughs> and he was so offended by this. He was so gross. And I was like, it's 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 just like the most loving gift I can imagine giving somebody, a, literally a piece of myself. And he yeah. was like, I'm Jewish. This offends me on so many levels. And I was like, I don't oh. even understand what you're saying, but I don't want to do anything to somebody else that's bad and all Why, of that. But what, what, what about being Jewish makes up? He was like, they made lampshades oh. out of my people. Oh. And I was like, okay, okay. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to make keychain bangles yeah. for my friends. That's a different thing. It's a different thing. Um, also illegal in California to make keychains to, 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 to give somebody their skin. You can't do what it. What about toenails? Toenails? That's what I, I mean. I said I got my <laughs> wisdom teeth when I had my wisdom teeth pulled. They handed me my wisdom teeth. We're I very didn't specific. understand. We're yeah. very specific about what you can keep and not keep. Skin is off limits. So I donated it to uh, Burn Research, but. I was so, had so much anxiety about sitting still and gaining weight while I was sitting still that I didn't sit still and I fell and tore my <gasps> side open and had to have a wound vac just like that gentleman <gasps> for a long time because they can't sew you back up and it fills with fluid and you have to constantly suck the fluid away from <sighs> the wound. Why couldn't they sew you back up? Um, I don't know. I don't know, but I did so much damage falling and tearing my side open that they had to, uh, they ha I had one of those wound vacs, yeah. How long did that last for? Months. There's, that's the best I could find. There's yeah. some skin that they removed see. from somebody. Yeah. Fucking A, man. That, Jesus That could Christ. be 11 pounds. I mean, that looks like a lot of skin. It looks a lot. Now, how long was the, uh, the healing process from all this? Uh... The, the entire last season of My Name is Earl, I wore a wound vac that I would take off like as we would start rolling. But so it was months and months and months. It wouldn't have been if I hadn't have fallen and injured myself. How long would it have been if you hadn't fallen? Three or four months. Even then, that's so long. Yeah. You know, the thing that really scares people about injuries is infections. Right? Yeah. So that's you had to worry about staff and things along those lines, or MRSA, which is really scary. Oh, I was on um, heavy duty antibiotics, Levaquin, the whole time, just to kill bacteria as it came up, in case it was like something I had to take every day, no matter what, in case an infection happened. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. And that wears you out too, right? Antibiotics just make you so tired. Yeah, it was not. It was not something I would consider doing again, though I've been a healthy weight with excess skin for years now. Gordon Ryan was in here the other day, who's the greatest jujitsu grappler of all time, right? And uh, He's a young kid. 25. You think he's the greatest of all time? Of all time. Really? Yeah, he's the best. 
Really? Yeah, he's the best. I know who he is. I just can't believe already at 25 this he is, beats everyone. This is the consensus. How do we get like um, Hickson versus him? Well, he's a lot bigger than Hickson, okay. first of all. But obviously Hickson is it's long past his time. Um, it's a different world. Yeah. He taps big, giant Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champions. Right. And he, he puts them in bad situations and taps them like it's nothing. I'm not he's talking freak. shit and no, saying I know he's not, not great. I'm just no, saying it's the just, greatest it's, of all time is 25. It's extraordinary. It's very unusual. You were doing jiu-jitsu when he was two years old. Exactly. Yeah. He learned from John Donaher, who's probably the greatest mind in combat sports alive today. Not probably. I think he is. You know, and when I found out that John Donaher, uh, Gary Tonin, who is also one of the greatest grapplers alive, is also a John Donaher student, has entered into One uh, FC, which is a mixed martial arts uh, organization in uh, Asia, and he's been incredibly successful. And then I was like, well, who's his striking coach? And Gordon's like, John Donaher's his striking coach as well. And I was like, what? And then I realized, like, holy shit. You're talking about a guy who used to teach philosophy at Columbia. And then became obsessed with jiu-jitsu. Doesn't have a family. Doesn't have a girlfriend. All he does is train fighters and 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 study tape. Right. And I, I get a chance to talk to him this past weekend. And every time I talk to him, I'm reminded like how fucking brilliant the guy is. He's an extraordinary person. And Gordon, who is a great athlete, who has incredible dedication and discipline, was trained by the greatest mind in combat sports alive today. And the and maybe the greatest ever. How about that? He might John Donaher might be the greatest mind in combat sports ever. Right. And the two of them together, unstoppable combination. So you have genetics. He's a big, strong, tall kid who grew up doing jujitsu. Right, starts jujitsu when he was a kid, and then finds John Donaher, and trains seven days a week. And when he's not training, he's studying tape and he's examining moves and going over things. And he's just fully dedicated. They don't take any days off, man. Right. And that's one of the things we talked about. No day. I'm like, no days off? Like, no, when I'm tired, I just train light. I'm wow. like, what in the fuck? He's like, yeah, I might go in and get tapped a few times, but who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, I just, if I'm worn out, I just go in and I keep training. I'm like, and has, yes, he hasn't nuts. had an MMA fight. He has not yet, but he is signed for 1FC, exclusive for MMA, and they might put him in grappling matches in 1FC as well. 1FC is a really interesting organization because they have kickboxing they have muay thai so they have regular kickboxing with gloves with uh, big gloves boxing gloves they have kickboxing with small gloves they have muay thai with small gloves they have mma and apparently they're gonna have grappling as well so they're gonna give away a grappling belt same way they have one fc belts for all these other disciplines did one fc grow out of strike force no no strike force is purchased by the ufc oh when was that? When a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, UFC bought Strike Force back in the early 2000s, I believe, cuz Ronda Rousey actually came from Strike Force. Okay. Yeah. So when um he does do MMA, if he does do MMA, he has to do it with 1FC. That's where his contract lies, but right. The contract allows him to grapple with 1FC, but grapple everywhere else as well. And the the, the conversation we were having was he's having a hard time getting opponents. Because no one for wants to grappling. Get, for grappling, because right. no one wants to get manhandled. They get manhandled. Why did I say that that way? Manhandled. He he doesn't just manhandle guys. He tells you how he's going to tap them. Like uh, he fought Wagner Rocha, and uh, he wrote on a piece of paper 
he wrote a triangle and he handed it to the uh, guys who are doing commentary and he said, uh, "Open this envelope up after the vi- after the match is over." That's he, crazy. And he yeah, triangle. He's fighting a world class guy. Wagner's a world class guy. He fights this guy, triangles him, and he said he was going to manhandle him for a long time because he apparently the guy fucked with him when he was 19. He's going to manhandle <laughs> oh, him for Jesus. a long time and then triangle him, and that's exactly what he did. And they had a match a long time ago, and the difference between, like several years ago, the difference between that match and today is stark. Like, Gordon is that much better. He continues to grow at this crazy rate and get better at this crazy rate. These other guys are recognizing, like, not only is he the best guy alive, but he's so much better than he was a year ago. He's so much better than he was a year before that. He's better than he was six weeks ago. He just keeps getting better. And he's only 25. So when you're 25, you just keep getting better. And he's training seven days a fucking week. He gets up in the morning. He lifts weights. He does MMA training. And then he does jiu-jitsu. And then he eats and he goes to sleep and he does it all over again. And they moved to Puerto Rico so they could do it because New York City was shutting down the gyms. Right. So they're like, okay, we'll go over here. Yeah. They're like, we're not going to stop. Like, we have a, a, we're not going to take a year off. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So they just went to Puerto Rico. That's exciting. I can't wait to see him fight MMA. Um, I'm excited about that, but honestly, I'm just as excited about him fighting and grappling. And I think- But like who? Who do you want to see him fight? That's what's interesting. With one FC, I think they have a promotional- machine behind them with financial backing that might incentivize people to compete against him. So they might be able to talk some other elite grapplers who are also heavyweights to get in there and risk getting tapped because this is what they want to avoid. Because, like, he had a match with uh, Cyborg, uh, Roberto Abreu, who's, uh, you know, huge fucking powerhouse of a man, like world multiple-time world champion, and uh, Cyborg is, like, widely respected as being, like, one of the top grapplers alive. Gordon trapped him early on, got him in a heel hook and, and tapped him out. And when people saw Cyborg get tapped out so easily by Gordon, they're like, holy shit. It just it just changed the game. Yeah. And these guys— How big is he? Cyborg, no, 240. No, Gordon. Gordon, 220. Oh, he's really big. He's big. Yeah. He's a big kid. And this is the thing. We, we got to this whole—got to Gordon from this— conversation about staph infection yeah so gordon had this reoccurring staph infection over and over and over again he kept taking these antibiotics and he developed a stomach issue i forget what it's called but the stomach issue does not allow him to to consume a bunch of different foods without getting nauseous he's nauseous all the time really yeah he can only consume small amounts of food too and to maintain his mass to be 220 pounds he's got to like eat a lot of food yeah he can only eat like white rice chicken fish and a couple other things and no oils or greases or anything like that i mean in fairness that sounds like a pretty healthy diet not a bad diet but he can't eat like the amount that he wants what's it called gastroparesis paresis gastroparesis so this is it which means partial paralysis of the stomach is a disease which the stomach cannot empty itself of food in a normal way if you have this condition damaged nerves and muscles don't function with their normal strength and coordination slowing the movement of the contents through your digestive system and they think that that happened because of the continual uh use of oral antibiotics just over and over and over again he's on this this stuff and it eventually fucked up his stomach 
And and is the staph infection under control? Staph infection is under control, but now he's got this gastroparesis. Gastroparesis. Still, he can't, can't that shake sucks, it. That sucks, dude. does suck. That really sucks. I hope. Still the best. Still the best. Still the best. He, he this, can't eat what he wants, and he's still the yeah, best. Still with this fucked up stomach thing, because he thinks that if he didn't have the stomach thing, he could, because of his steady weightlifting and everything, he can get up to 240, where he thinks he can dominate people even more. Jesus and he's a big kid. Christ, when you dude. see the size of him, he's a big kid. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's probably accurate. You yeah, know? he'd need to eat a lot more, and and maybe chicken and rice and vegetables isn't going to cut it. You need to up the maybe. fats. Maybe uh, you know larger calories, larger uh, you know larger portions. But yeah, it's just That's, it's. I love outliers. Yeah. I really do. I just love. I love exceptional human beings who could figure out things like that. I do too. Gets me excited. I just fucking. I love when there's a dude who's just so far ahead of the curve. Yeah. And when you're talking about Hickson, like that was how everybody felt about Hickson when Hickson was in his prime. And Hickson was the same way. He was training every day. And Hickson's special thing was yoga. Right. Because Hickson had this, this crazy physicality and flexibility that these other jiu-jitsu guys did not have. And also this insane understanding of positions and insane understanding of the language of the interactions of human bodies in, in grappling exchanges. He just knew how to grapple in a way that other guys just did not. And a lot of it was just based on just repetition over and over and over and over again. And the fact that he was stronger than the other Gracies. So he got more taps in than they did. And that's how guys get really much better. Like a guy who's like physically stronger and a guy who, uh, who like Eddie Bravo always says that if you really want to get good, strangle blue belts. And it's really true because you get more taps in when you're doing this. More reps. Yeah, you get more reps in. And that's what happened with Hickson. He was just better than everybody else and more physical. And it's one of the reasons why – there's a couple reasons why uh, Horian Gracie, who created the UFC, wanted Hoist to compete rather than Hickson. One was that he couldn't control Hickson because Hickson doesn't – he don't listen to anybody but Hickson. Right. And the other one was that Hoyce was less physically impressive. Like when you saw Hickson, you've seen Hickson yeah. with his shirt off. I mean, he looks like a fucking assassin. He looks like an Adonis. Yeah. I mean, he was beautiful. Yeah. Truly beautiful. <laughs> yeah. He had perfect features. He was so handsome. And Hoyce compared to him was like a scrawny little guy. Yes. So Hoyce was a better example a better it was a better demonstration more of impressive certainly. yeah in that way and the idea was that they would use hoist until hoist lost and if hoist ever lost then they bring in hickson right. then everybody's fucked Just assassinate people. yeah but hickson went over to japan and won the japan valley tudo and became a giant star in japan and then he fought in coliseum and he fought in pride and i think coliseum was his last fight and if i won't if i'm going to be accurate. I want to say it was the year 2000. I think that was Hickson's last hurrah. So who today? I I, I didn't mean Hickson like should fight him now. Or no, should, no, of course. But, but, but at the time, yeah, the version of Hickson versus the version of Gordon yeah. Ryan today. And yeah. if and so we can't even play that game. Who today do you want to see Gordon fight? It's very well. I'd love to see Cyborg again. I think that would be an interesting fight because Cyborg still now Cyborg and him did have one other match, and Cyborg was disqualified for slapping Gordon in the head I saw repeatedly. That. Yeah, yeah, uh, which this, looked like a fucking bitch thing to do too. To be honest with you, yeah, he just you know 
Guys get frustrated. Get, get frustrated. They get emotional. I mean, Gordon talks so much shit too. Really. But meanwhile, it didn't bother him that he was getting smacked. He just kept rolling. I mean, his his ultimate goal was to get Cyborg to engage with him and tap him out again. Yeah. And Cyborg was very defensive and used a lot of slaps and was very physical. Um, there's there's some guys. Uh, Pena is really good. There's a lot of guys in the heavyweight division that are elite grapplers. But the thing is, like a lot of them don't want to risk getting tapped. Right. That's what the thing is. That's the thing. They just don't want to risk having happen to them what happened to uh, Wagner Rocha. Yeah. But then if they put enough money, people will start to risk that. If they put enough money, and that's the argument about something like one FC. Is that one FC might have the financial means to goad maybe some judo champions and some elite grapplers in other disciplines, you know, and make it a big deal, and you know, do it in a stadium, you know. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Because if you're doing it at one of those big one FC shows, they have some pretty. Once they have audiences again, I don't think they're having. I think the UFC is the first combat sports organization uh, in mixed martial arts, at least, to start having full stadiums again. And so the, the one that we did a couple of weeks ago in Jacksonville, Florida, was a full stadium, which is pretty fucking nuts. Yeah. It was wild, I'm so man. glad it's coming back. The electricity in the crowd is fucking tangible. It's crazy. I liked what they were doing in, what, was it Dubai or Qatar or something? It was Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Yeah. That's, that was awesome, but it de- it definitely felt from an audience perspective to be a little bit lacking without yeah. th- the feeling of a crowd. Yeah, well, they kept the sport going, though. That's what they did. Yeah. Yeah, they, they kept the sport alive, and they allowed fans to come back in a limited capacity in Abu Dhabi for the Connor fight. I forget how many they had rules. Like you had to have a neg- negative COVID test either day of or day before or something like that. There, so was, there was some rules to get in there and I don't think it was full capacity but it was quite a few people but um, when they fight again it'll be in July at the T-Mobile Arena in Vegas and barring some sort of crazy outbreak of COVID again it should be full capacity it'll be wild yeah it's exciting yeah it is it's uh, it's a crazy sport man there's nothing like it It really is nothing like it yeah I, I, I never was super into boxing it was the only thing that seemed to just be more entertaining. I, I enjoyed watching it more, and I like combat. Yeah, I like boxing too, you know. I'm not shitting on boxing. No, it just was not I know my, you're not. Yeah. I, li- I like boxing too, but yeah, MMA, is it's it's more dynamic. There's more involved. There's more, more options. It's more exciting, and it ends more suddenly more often. Yeah. You know, like uh, if you watch the UFC fight last weekend or two weekends ago, last weekend, this past weekend, this uh, Porhaska. How do you say it? Prohaska. I think that's how you say his name. Yuri Prohaska. Um, did you see that fight? Bro, that guy is a monster. He, he's a real problem. He's this uh, guy from the Czech Republic, this big fucking crazy striker who fights wild and he just comes straight at you and puts it on you in this wild way where he just th- throws himself at fighters and forces them into these dog fights. Yeah. And he got tagged. He got rocked in the fight at one point in time, but then he knocked Dominic Reyes out with a spinning elbow. And it was just, I mean, face plant, out cold. And Dominic Reyes is a guy who went five hard rounds with John Jones. Right. And then he got stopped by Jan Bohovic. And then uh, he got really fucked up by Prohaska. Yeah. 
It's going to be fucking wild. Is John Jones going to come back and fight in a... Supposedly, he's going to fight in the heavyweight division, and supposedly, he's going to fight Francis Ngannou. But it's not done. It's not done. And Francis Ngannou, if if John and the UFC don't make an agreement, then Francis is going to fight Derek Lewis, who is the last guy to beat him in a decision. That's a fun fight, too. Fuck, yeah. Derek is terrifying. Derek's terrifying. Derek is the only guy that can knock guys out as impressively, maybe even more so than Francis. Because yeah. he face-planted Curtis Blaze with one punch. You know, Derek can knock any man out. Any man. Any man alive. He's so big. Derek is huge. Yeah. So he's a two hundred natural 265-pounder too, and he's just got a, a real knack for knocking people unconscious. And, you know, what he said about Francis, said if we fight again, he's going to knock him the fuck out. <laughs> right. Which is crazy. If he knocked Francis out, that would be full-on bananas. Yeah. And, you know, t- Derek has the ability. He really can knock anyone out. And if France, Francis has to fight Derek, he has to be much more careful than he was against Stipe because Derek is a one-punch guy. Like, one punch can change everything. So... That'll be fun. Either That'll way, fun. I'm I in for all of them, yeah, no matter what. Yeah. So why'd you stop? What is this Sorry, here? Here's the... Oh, yeah, this is the spinning elbow. Watch this. I mean, fuck, dude. Crazy. That's insane. Yeah, he's something special. It's it's not just that, man. It's all the other stuff that he did in the fight as well. Uh, and it's the pace that he set. He has crazy cardio, and he's a wild guy. Like real, why? Like even after the fight, oh. he was upset with himself for getting hit. He's like, "Oh, I got really caught." I don't think it was a masterpiece. He was uh, talking crazy. He's like, he's a wild, like sort of a interesting person. Like the way he thinks, and you know, it's just and the way he fights is not like anybody else. Yeah, he just goes right at you. Yeah, he just he's puts it be, on yeah, you. He's gonna give people trouble. He's gonna give everybody trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that his first fight in the USC? Second fight. Second fight. Okay. Yeah, his first fight, he fought uh, Ozdemir, Volkan Ozdemir, knocked him the fuck out too, <laughs> which is crazy. And what Ozdemir, is that weight Ozdemir class? Is scary. Two hundred five. Two hundred five. Okay. Ozdemir is scary. Ozdemir is a serious knockout puncher, and he slept him. Yeah. I mean, both guys flatlines him. You seen that it's fight? His, I'm looking at his record right now. <clears throat> Everything he has is a KO. Yeah. Wow. One decision here. Yeah. TKO Bro, he's, retirement, TKO head, and yeah, everything he's is He's a monster. Chaos. He's a monster. Yeah. One draw. Super were, creative. Were you asking why I stopped training? Yeah, why did you stop training? I, I started training uh, more with force multipliers. So I, I, uh, I was doing a TV show, and the character I was playing was based on a real dude who his job is to train tier one guys in edged weapons, blades, knives, and stuff like that. And... Tom Kyer is his name. He's a real guy. He's fucking awesome. And uh, and I just kind of moved over to the idea. I, obviously, I think that all of this stuff is super beneficial and good to keep up with. But when I think about um, getting into a fight, I'm, I have four kids. Two are in college. They're all girls. I have. A, I feel very protective of them. But I, I'm not. I'm not going to bars and putting myself in situations where I'm going to have like a street fight. And so when I would think about that, I would think like, what would the circumstances be 
to require me to have some kind of a physical altercation. And it always came down to their lives where my wife's lives, life was in danger. And, and then it just led to like the idea of weapons, basically. And so I started training with weapons. You train with pistols? Yeah. I shoot USPSA. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're serious. I, I mean, I, I, I like training. I don't know how serious I am. I also live in California, so everything becomes more difficult out there. You right. Know? Um, uh, carrying a fixed blade is more illegal than carrying a pistol in California. Is These, it really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's a felony to uh, conceal carry a fixed blade knife. It is a misdemeanor to conceal carry a pistol in California. These wow. are California's laws. Um, so all these things come become difficult to train with this stuff, but I also am mostly at my house, and it's not illegal to carry anything at your house. Right. Have you uh, ever gone to like a tactical course and oh, done like yeah. Terran Tactical? I haven't done Terran Tactical, but I've trained with guys like um, Bill Rapier, Kyle DeFore. These guys were all in um, dev group for a long time, and and I've trained with those dudes. It's interesting, the attitude about guns in California and how it shifted post-COVID, isn't it? Ooh, <laughs> guns sold out during COVID. By the way, there's a national bullet shortage. Yeah, now. it's real hard to get bullets. Yeah. Yeah, but wasn't it interesting like how, I don't know if this is the case with you, about people who never talked about guns all of a sudden start inquiring about guns? And I'm sure if, you, if people know that you train with guns, they probably question you about it. Like, hey, man, um, how I had I a lot them? of calls like, I should get a gun. I'm going to get a gun. And I, my answer to every one of these people was like, please go do a course first. Go do a gun safety course at yeah. least. Learn, you know... Um, I wouldn't like I'm not even taking a position on like what's right and wrong as far as the law goes or, you know, if we should have more or less regulations. But like I, I wanted my friends to, to at least be able to operate it safely before they had it in their house. Yes. You know? And and know how to keep it safe. Yeah. Yeah. Just make, make sure that they're locked up and nobody can just get to them easily. It's, yeah. All that stuff is very, very tricky. I had a friend ask me to borrow a gun and I was like, are you fucking crazy? I've There's had that. no way. Yeah. I've had that conversation too. And many other friends that I have that have had guns have also had those conversations with other people. Yeah. When they've asked them. It's apparently a common thing. Yeah. You know, I know you have more than one gun. Like, <laughs> bitch, <laughs> I'm not going to jail. Uh, yeah, I'm not getting in trouble. Yeah, because that's illegal. That's right. really, it's legal for me to have more than one gun. It's not legal for me to give one to you. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I just think like a person who has no knowledge or experience yeah. with Terrible. that, I, I don't want to be a part of well, handing I, them yeah. something. But you, just the first time you shoot a gun and you realize how loud it is and how much kick it has, like, yeah. ah! Yeah, it's and a you, lot. Don't, you don't even know how to aim it. Like, right. you need to learn, you know? Uh, it's, um, I remember the first time I ever went to a gun range was actually the first time I moved to California. I bought a gun and went to the range because you couldn't get a gun in New York. Yeah. And you could get, it's easier to get a gun out here than it is in New York. And uh, when I went to the range, and uh, I remember walking in and hearing, bang, bang, and you feel, bang, it. and you're like, whoa. It made you feel so vulnerable. Yeah. And you realize, like, wow, that's what bullets sound like. Yeah. Little explosions. Yeah, little yeah. explosions. And then once you do it and you pull the trigger a few times and hit targets, you're like, holy shit. 
Yeah, it's fun. Um, I, I, you know, I, this is another place where where people get so divided, um, and and I just think it comes down to like preferences and values, and and I hear people argue about it, and I'm like, sounds like people are arguing about flavors of ice cream yeah. to me because it's like I like this, I, I don't like this, and what I like you should like, and it's, you know, it's a it's a weird thing to think about. Well. People don't like the argument that if you take guns away, then you'll be helpless against a tyrannical government. That is a slippery one with people. They're like, what? Oh, come on. You think that's going to happen? Oh, come on. Right. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's going to happen. But I like the senator who said the U.S. government has nukes um, talking about like how people with firearms at home couldn't defend themselves against the U.S. government. Yeah. And I just wish I could point out to that guy that uh, neither Vietnam or Afghanistan had nukes. They didn't have much of anything, and they seemed to do pretty well against the U.S. government. Yeah, it's a good argument. But Afghanistan, obviously, it's a terrain issue. Right. You know. But and Vietnam, they don't have nukes. No. No, but if we used one on Afghanistan, that would be a wrap. Right. Yeah. I don't think that the U.S. government is, is going to use nukes on yeah. U.S. people. No, it's a dumb argument. I, I, I know what they're – but people try to do those things because they're actually trying to win an argument. They're not trying to be rational. Yeah. They're trying to say something that would work. Right. Like, ta-da, gotcha. Yeah. You know? We won. The U.S. government won. Four aces. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's – um. you don't want to ever think that the government could go south – and become tyrannical, but it could. Sure. And it might not with this organization, with this administration rather, but it it might with three administrations from now. And I can say that with all sincerity. I'm not I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm just looking at what happened over the last year with COVID. And not necessarily even in America. Look what's going on in Canada. When you see 200 cops show up because these people are having a church service and uh, they've decided you can't gather. And so 200 cops show up at a church. Like, I'm, is that, what are you doing? What's going on there? Yeah. Like, that seems kind of fucking crazy. It seems like there's an overreach. And, like, what if this overreach extends? Now, we're talking about a, a disease that kills a very small percentage of people. It, it's all tragic. Everyone who dies, it's a tragedy. No, no argument there. Sad, no matter what. But what if it's a disease that kills ten percent of the people? What if it's twenty? If they see you outside your house, are they going to shoot you to protect other people? Are they going to treat you like you're a zombie? The the, like, the argument breaks down because we're now worried about the total loss of life. When we had the lockdown, it was because of potential uh, medical infrastructure collapse. Right. That was why. We couldn't risk the hospitals being overfilled. Now, I understand that because if the hospitals, if that infrastructure collapses, that's devastating to the country. Right. 78%, and I thought it was 80, you corrected me earlier, 78% of the people who were hospitalized for COVID were obese. We're not allowed to tell anybody to lose weight, but if they did, we would certainly, and I'm not saying it would be one for one, but we would certainly reduce the need for hospitalization. So all of these things are values. Yeah, Bill, Bill Maher had a great bit about that. He had a great piece about um, uh, Michelle Obama when Obama was president. Um, Michelle Obama had some get out and move campaign, uh -huh. right? 
and that if something similar was employed during the Trump administration, during COVID, that we could have gotten people healthier and, and said, but I don't think they necessarily knew at the time. I think it took a few months before they recognized that obesity was one of the main comorbidity factors. Um, but vitamin D is another big one. Um, and Which they took away by keeping us inside. Yeah. Most people need vitamin D, even if you go outside, though, unfortunately, because you know, you're wearing clothes and you don't want to get skin cancer. Right. So we've been programmed to think that you know you have to um you, you can't be exposed you have to put sunscreen on which is fucking gnarly chemicals right uh but vitamin d 84 in one study at least 84 percent of the people in the icu with uh, covid had insufficient levels of vitamin d and only four percent had sufficient levels which is really crazy i mean right. that's so obviously it's um doesn't mean it protects you 100 percent, but it's a strong factor and then when you look at the national numbers, I think 79% of the population in total has insufficient levels of vitamin D. It is a real problem because it's a hormone, and it's a hormone that your body best produces when you're out in the sun, but you don't get it any other way unless you supplement. Right. You don't get it from your diet. You don't get it from anything. It's not, it doesn't exist in foods. You literally have to take it as a supplement. And why, why is this not? pushed exactly as a value yeah why is it not pushed as a value yeah. um the new york times uh recently had uh, a piece that they put about uh how people who exercise regularly it's a, a strong factor in not having covid in a severe case and recovering from it quicker this is another thing that doesn't get discussed all that gets discussed is you know locking down vaccinations all these different things when it should be a, a, a many multi-tiered approach to getting people healthier, but it's hard to tell people to be healthy. It's like what we were talking about before, like hearing you talk about the emotional pain involved in being overweight before you decided to take these incredible steps and this amazing result. It, it makes you think like, man, like it's hard to tell someone, especially someone like me who's never really been fat. It's hard to tell someone that you have to lose weight. So if the government started doing it, and God damn it, there's so, so many snowflakes today. If they did start doing it, people would be freaking the fuck out. Like, what do you say? You're injuring me with your words. Yeah. You know, you're causing violence with your words. You did, make me. F but did you know that also there's a movement that that links the idea of diet culture to racism also, in any form? What? Yeah. How I, do they do that? Um. Apparently, uh, there was a kind of somewhat of a predilection amongst black men to favor larger women. And so in order to shame that whole group for their race, this is what the theory is that diet culture grew out of that. Is this part of critical race theory? Yes. Don't they just find everything? I, is it coffee I, I, racist I suppose, yet? I suppose so. I, I, I just think it becomes it becomes very dangerous yeah. to encourage people to lose weight. And for me, I understand like health was not my main driving motivation. At I mean, today it's a big part of it. Twenty years ago, it wasn't even five percent. There's a real problem with there's a a culture of call out in this country. There's a culture of attack vectors. They're looking for a reason that you're bad or you're wrong or you're guilty or you're responsible for something, whether you are or you aren't. 
And then if you are saying this publicly, and one of the problems with social media is, even if what you're saying doesn't necessarily make sense, you can get enough fucking people to agree with you, and they'll pile on. And then the person who is in this debate is an individual, and they get attacked by enormous amounts of people. And it's, it's a bad proposition. And for the person that gets attacked, it feels like the walls are closing in on you. Like, oh, my God. Like, I know people that are like very educated, intelligent people. And then they espouse something online that goes against the mob and they get attacked and it wrecks them. It wrecks them emotionally. And I've seen it happen. I'm like, man, you got to stay offline. Yeah. Like, just get out of there. Like, don't. But they, I can't help. I'm to defend myself. Like, right. but you don't have to defend yourself. I mean, brilliant people who've like, like wrecked vacations because they checked something on Twitter where someone was attacking them. They spent all their vacation time in the hotel room crafting a response. Like, yeah. man, don't do it. Don't do it. it. But it's a part of this weird culture that we find ourselves in where people realize that's an, an effective thing. If you have an opinion that I don't agree with, we will attack that opinion. And then a bunch of people that will, will, who agree with your perspective will pile onto it. And it's a natural inclination people have when you see someone vulnerable to pile on. It's an animal thing. You know, you see it with other animals. When a, when a wolf is cowering from the other wolves, they'll all attack that wolf and fuck it up. Yeah. It's a natural instinct to see weakness and to attack or to sense vulnerability and attack. And that is playing itself out in social media. Yeah. You see it with people. So. If someone says that diet culture is racist, and so I agree, and then like you, you know, and then next thing you know, or 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 whatever, or it's, whatever, it's it's, it's yeah. toxic, or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. I again, I don't give a shit if people want to be overweight and they're overweight, but for anybody who wants to lose weight and yeah. and has failed and is struggling, and there's a conversation to be had. Yeah, there's you a conversation talk about it. There's a conversation to be had, but I think it has to be had maybe through someone who's actually done it. And I think you have an amazing position because what you've done is incredible. It took a long time. It took an amazing amount of work and it changed who you are as a human being. You're more confident. You're, you have more energy. You're far healthier. You look amazing. And you look at this pictures of who you were and who you are now. You are a guy who can speak to it in a way that I, I'll, I can't, you know? I, 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 for very fortunate reasons, my family ate healthy when I was young. I have good genetics, and I worked out from the time I was a kid. I've never stopped working out, so I've never really had an issue like that. But fuck, I could have if I was you. Sure. That's like what we were talking about earlier. Like when someone said, oh, I can never do what you do, but you could if you were me. Right. And that's de- Sapolsky. That's determinism. That's, yeah. And it's real, man. It's hard for people to recognize that, but I think overall, in general, we need to be way more compassionate with each other and one way is to recognize that you you know you don't exist the way you are because you just decide this is the way to be and it's real clear and i'm gonna fuck people over and i'm gonna do this and this is who i am period fuck off no you just become that person over a long period of time and um i was explaining this someone this to someone recently and i've said it more than once but it bears repeating that when I had children, it changed who I am as a person because then I started to think of people as babies. I never thought of people as babies. If I met a guy and he was a 40-year-old asshole, I'm like, there's Tom, that 40-year-old asshole. Right. 
I never thought, oh, Tom used to be a baby. And he was this cute little kid, but his parents fought around him. And then maybe he got spanked too much when he did things wrong. And he didn't even understand what was going on. And maybe his brother beat the shit out of him. Maybe went to school with kids who bullied him. And then, you know, maybe uh, he fucking got arrested and did time in jail for something he didn't do. And next thing you know, here's Tom, the 40-year-old asshole that's giving me a hard time at the gas station. And I'm thinking about flatlining Tom. I'm like, motherfucker. Like, you think of people as who they are now. Yeah. You know, and I think we would all be better off if we just recognize that, like, everybody's path is different. And if someone came out fucked up, there's that old saying, right? Hurt people hurt people. That shit's real. It is. My fear with determination and, and I, I, I... Determinism? I'm, determinism, yeah. sorry. Um, and I'm, I think with it all the time. But, and I think It doesn't this, absolve you. It, exactly. Right. It, can, it can be this thing where I go like, well, my experiences led me to here, so this is it. And I think that you, you can create experiences that can lead you in another direction. Yeah. Right. Uh, Gurdjieff is a philosopher who talked about the, the eyes, how we're not just a singular thing. Like I have, and it, not in a schizophrenic way, but many voices in my head at all times mm -hmm. saying like, drink this water, don't drink this water, have a nicotine mint. Um, you want a McRib, the McRib is bad, eat the McRib. No, I'm gonna have chicken and rice. Like these, right. yeah, these yeah, voices yeah. exist. So like, make a decision and pick an eye. And then there are various ways that we can go about like accomplishing stuff. If we don't try to accomplish everything in a day, I think. So I get scared and I don't think, I don't think this is the point of Sapolsky, but I think it's easy to hear that and to go like, everything led me to this point. I'm a product of all of this. I cannot beat it. Right. That's my fear with that. And I, and I and so I go like it, there's got to be some middle ground between the two, between free will and recognizing all of that, you know? It really does. And I think that's where also where communication comes in and that recognition that human beings don't exist in a vacuum. We're all in this together. And we need each other to check each other, to recognize when our behavior is off, and then to to be kind about it, yeah. to let people know like, hey, you know, you've made a mistake here. You fucked this up. And for that person to recognize that this person is reaching out with kindness and then respond in turn with kindness and say, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to. I understand that I did something incorrect. And, and we can do that. Yeah. It's the opposite of call out culture, right? It's like, it's a kindness culture. It's like a compassion culture. That's what we really need in response. And unfortunately, some really intelligent people who are well-meaning, they think they're doing the right thing, are involved in this sort of cancel culture thing where they're attacking people. And it's bad for everybody. It's bad for them, too, because they kind of feel what they're doing while they're doing it. Just, it gives you a very low opinion of yourself. Because if you're a person that's piling on on someone, you don't think of yourself as being a hero or some sort of courageous, courageous or you know, enlightened person. That you just, group often eats its own, too. Well, so it's like always. a dangerous group to be in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an, a product in many ways of social media because it's a shit way to communicate with text online like that. It's just not healthy. Yeah, It's not wise. And it's not wise to participate in it. It's not wise to dwell in it when it happens to you. It's not wise to go back and forth. And I don't think it's wise if we continue this. I think it's bad for us as a culture and as a civilization 
And again, you got to forgive the people that are involved in it as well. I don't think they're bad people. I just think it's a bad decision. And I think it's a simple, easy decision, just like it's a simple, easy decision to eat the craft service. Yeah. It's right there, but right. it's not the wise thing to do. And, you know, we need more people communicating about all these things that we're talking about. We, and we need it to be a big part of you know the the conversation of what it means to be a person in today's society because yeah. you can delve into processed foods you can get into harmful drugs you can get into all sorts of things that can fuck yourself up or you can decide like you know what i kind of recognize that this has never served me in the past i've i've seen all these errors i've made up to this point and uh i'm going to choose now to move forward with a different ideal and with different ethics and different morals, and I'm going to try to be a better person, and I'm going to try to treat other people the way I would like to be treated, not pile on them on social media or attack them for some shit that they might or might have gotten incorrect or whatever, but instead to just recognize, like, this is a terrible way to treat someone you care about, and we should care about everybody. Like, you would never pile on one of your friends on social media, right? No way. Of course. So why would you just do it to anybody? Really, you know, it's, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be critical of certain things. And certain things demand critical thinking and they demand criticism because it allows the other person to recognize that they've erred and that other people see things from a different perspective than they do. But you don't get that from insulting people and being shitty and mean. And that is more common than not. That's the majority of these interactions. It's like people trying to find people who have erred or people who are worthy of attack and then going after them. Yeah, and, and I find that people that I could have total disagreement with on any of these things, if I sit down and have a conversation yes. and try to see their point of view, I often do. And I often have empathy and suddenly they're a real person. But if I take my understanding of them based on something I read or off a tweet or something like this or how they're discussed amongst other groups of people, then it just becomes like the other and I, ha mm -hmm. I want nothing to do with them and they're scary and I won't talk to them yeah. intentionally. And this this to me is non-optimal. This is not the way to... Yeah, the other is a fucking real weird uh, inclination that we have yeah. to treat people. And this is why uh, war is so awful, right? Because people are really capable of simple, easy dehumanization of entire races of people, yeah. entire countries, nations of people. They just decide, fuck the krauts. Right. You know, we're dropping bombs. You know, fuck these people. We're going to put them in internment camps. Fuck these people. It's crazy. Cause yeah, you, uh, politics today really look like the Catholics fighting the Protestants to me, where mm. you're just like, wait, what are you guys really fighting about? Right. You guys are real close. We're just so tribal, man. Humans are so tribal. It is built into our signals. It's built into our, our what we are. We evolved in tribes, yeah. and we evolved to be fearful of other tribes. And as other tribes are going to do you damage and steal your resources and, and kill you. Yeah. And... We haven't gotten past that. And the only way to get past that, I mean, you have to go on a journey, man. You have to you have to figure out for yourself. And each person's personal journey. It's like, think about your personal journey to lose the amount of weight that you did. Fuck, imagine trying to tell someone who's 500 pounds, this is what you're going to have to do. It's going to take years. And then you're going to work on it for a few more years to try to fucking dial it in once you've done it. Like, and then the seesaw. Yeah. Like when you went back and forth and back and forth. I mean, imagine. Like you gained 
hundred pounds at one point in time, right? Back multiple times. Imagine trying to tell someone like that about these these problems that you're going to encounter. How about this? I had loose skin removed, fell, injured myself, tore my side open, and then gained a hundred pounds. Jesus. Yeah, dude, that's fucking real. That's fucking real. Um, everybody's journey, this journey to be who the the optimal version of yourself. Everyone's journey is very different. And we're all in this together. That's that's the biggest message. And if you think you're not, you're fucked. You're th- you're fucked if you think we're not in this together. If you think you're on your own, you, you you're you're autonomous and you fuck the world. Okay, good luck with that, dude. Right. Good luck. You're not gonna be happy. We're most happy when we're in this together. We're most happy when we're con- when you can work out a disagreement with someone. One of my favorite things about fights is when they hug afterwards. Yeah, you know I that? love that too. I love it especially if they talk shit yeah. in the beginning. And then they grab their hand, "Give me a hug, you motherfucker. Yeah. I love you." And I, I love it. I really do. I love fights too, but it's just it's like it's very contradicting. I don't see that enough with the na- with the Diaz boys. I wish they were hugging people <laughs> a little bit more. They talk a lot of shit and they're yeah. so angry and I love them, but they I want to see every now and again them hug the well, guy. Well, he uh, him and Connor hugged yeah. after their second fight. That's true. Nate did. Uh, yeah, they're they're hard people, man. It's um, yeah, that's the 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 friendship that comes out of resolving conflict is a beautiful friendship. If you can let things go, you have to. People have to learn how to not hold grudges, man. Not not holding grudges is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful virtue, you know. And just to let it go, just let it go. We're all flawed we're all people yeah you know and we we can do this yeah it can be done but it takes work you know and i'm not good at it all the time either you know i'm talking a lot of shit right now but sometimes i'm an angry person as well and like i came here straight from the gym so i feel great yeah you know yeah (laughs) and that's i went to the gym this morning too yeah that's part of it like i worked out all my shit yeah but if you caught me like three days in a row no gym who knows? Maybe, maybe I maybe I'd be like fuck them and fuck this and and I have an inclination towards that. I have an inclination towards aggression and to say fuck you and fuck this and fuck that. And I try real hard to avoid that inclination and to get better. And it's not better in like one fell swoop. It's like I don't learn it from one mistake and now I'm better. It's like I need to make a gang of mistakes and keep recognizing that I made those mistakes and better. And I think we need to have that leeway, not just personally for ourselves, because we, you know, generally if you're healthy, you try to give yourself a little leeway for mistakes. We need to have that leeway for other people. Yeah. And I was thinking about this on the way over here. When I was thinking about felons, like felons that can't vote, like you get arrested when you're 17 for robbing a bank, and then you can never vote for the rest of your life. And does that make sense? I mean, we could... We could uh, we could just take uh, what our mutual friend Michael Malice has to say about voting and talk about how all votes are an act of violence or they're all they're all illegal and nobody should be voting at all. <laughs> yeah, but he's crazy. <laughs> M- Michael is just he's such a freak. There's no one like Michael Malice. I love that guy. He's such a fun dude, but he's also like he's so smart that he can argue these really untenable positions. Like there should be no police. There's no police. I'm like, bro, I'll steal everything you have. If there's no police. What are you okay, talking okay, about? But what if I'm a bad you, guy? Would you? No, if of course you're a not bad me. guy. But if I was a bad guy, for sure. I think about this sometimes, and I think about like you go back to ancient Rome, um, and there weren't explicit laws against murder. Um, eventually, and I mean like 700 years into the Roman Empire, they made laws about killing slaves because they were just like, people are killing too many slaves. (laughs) 
you shouldn't you shouldn't just kill your slaves. But that took a long time. Up until then, it wasn't like people were just killing every like there was murder, it happened. And but it wasn't like chaos of people killing right and left. I think of like people in jail for murder and I think we have laws against murder and people still murder and I don't know that I've never murdered somebody because there's a law. I just don't want to murder people. But I think we're different now than we were back then just because the the moral environment that we're evolving in. So many people are communicating about the sadness of losing loved ones and it's a, it, you see it. It's more personal. It, it, it that information reaches you whereas back then again they were the other. If you murdered someone they were the other. Yeah. You know, I think it's there's certain things though like you take a child's life you know you stab a child like i don't i can't ancient rome yeah the parents were allowed to kill their kids oh my god yeah. really it was up to the parents and, Whoa. and and there were some rules about um if the kid was really disfigured you had to kill it oh my god there were some like strong inclinations oh so from- the child was born disfigured yeah but like i mean there i forget exactly the language but like yeah that was left up to the family if the father and mother decided so they find like um pits and they were basically just buried at the house uh pits where over hundreds of years tons of kids were just getting buried because potentially they were killed by their family That's rough. That's not how we live today. Well, the, the Spartans, didn't they take some babies that, that were weak and they just leave them in the woods? Yeah. Fucking A, man. It was a different time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not advocating for any of that. No, of I course. I hope that's clear. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, if you look at Stephen Pinker's work when he talks about violence over the course of history, you know- when It's people, a lot less. Yeah, a lot less. When people want to think about the world today as opposed to the world of the past, they want to make this- you know, this judgment that today's filled with monsters and assholes and, you know, society's fucked. Like, it's the best time to live ever. Ever. But wasn't it always? Yes. Every yeah. time that people have ever been. Right. Except, Except the dark maybe, ages. Yeah. Yeah, that there was, was rough. There were some times yeah. where the shit hit the fan. Or a severe famine, you yeah. know, the the Dutch winter famine. That was a rough thing. Black plague. Yeah. It was probably better a couple of years before the plague. <laughs> yeah. And then after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, brother, we just did uh, more than three fucking hours. I love it. Joe, I, I, my wife will yell at me if I don't say, I do have a podcast called American Glutton, where all we talk about is diet. So if anybody's interested, please tune in. And it's on iTunes, Spotify, yeah. everywhere? all those things. All right, beautiful. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much, Thank man. you. I really, really appreciate, appreciate it. it. That was an awesome conversation. I've been a fan for years. Thanks, so thank brother. You. I'm a fan of yours, too. Can we do this again? I would love to. Let's do it again. Yes. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.